Hey, what's up, everybody? Um, the following podcast is about Star Wars. Look, we love Star Wars, and we know that you love Star Wars, but the reality is is that there's so much stuff about this franchise out there that we're not going to be able to cover every single detail of each and every film. We're going to miss some things. We're going to get some things wrong, but this is just a retrospective where the $20 ticket crew has a casual and open discussion. So if you're up for that, if you're up for a casual discussion and debate with some facts sprinkled in, you know, keep listening. If you want excruciating, painstaking detail, this might not be the podcast for you. Maybe you should watch some bonus features or something. Uh, either way, we hope you enjoy. The following podcast contains explicit language and movie spoilers you've been warned no seriously they're they're spoilers and, and foul language yeah welcome to 20 dollars ticket and welcome to the star wars retrospective uh, disney era recap where we talk about the force awakens rogue one the last jedi and solo uh, all leading up to the release of star wars episode 9 the rise of skywalker coming out december 20th 2019 uh, my name is kerwin and joining me today is jason what up jason not much how about you kerwin i'm good man uh, what are you drinking it's a nice cold coors light all right also with us is mugga what up mugs what's going on kerwin what are you drinking today ultra talking uh, TJ's here with us. What up, TJ? Hi, Kerwin. What are you drinking today? Bud Light, short can. <laughs> Chicken <laughs> shit. <laughs> uh, Bling is here with us today. What up, Bling? What's going on, Kerwin? Uh, what are you drinking? I have coffee and water. What's your water in? It is in a, a double-walled insulated uh, flask. It's not a hydro flask. Not a hydro flask, no. Just, just wanted that to be on the record. I can tell you hydro flask is better because I just feel it's of a better quality and it would take God. you less time. Hydro flask is, also, is, is the apple of, I would call it. So it's great. <laughs> it's overrated. No, no. Flask also, is the green bubble. Also, also, it would take you a lot less time to describe what you're drinking out of. And rounding out the panel today is Justin. What up, Justin? What up, Kerwin? What are you drinking today? Uh, Starbucks Venti. All right. Good. A beer. I mean, yeah. Oh. <laughs> All right, so uh, we got a lot to talk about today uh, going into the Disney era of Star Wars. So let's just get right to it. Let's talk about the sequel trilogy. So, like we spoke about in the prequel episode uh, in a 1980 interview uh, with Bantha Tracks, uh, the official Star Wars fan club newsletter, George Lucas said at one point that there was going to be 12 Star Wars films, but later cut that number down to nine. His plan was to make the prequels that dealt with Anakin and Obi Wan, with later plans to do a third trilogy that takes place after Return of the Jedi. In a 2005 interview with 60 Minutes, George Lucas was asked what he would do if somebody came to him wanting to make an episode seven, and he said no. Uh, there is no episode seven and then confirmed with the interviewer that he's closing the book on the Star Wars franchise as a whole. In 2015, the Cinephilia and Beyond Twitter account tweeted an excerpt from a total film interview Lucas did in 2008 where he stated the following, I've left pretty explicit instructions for there not to be any more features. There will definitely be no episodes seven through nine. That's because there isn't any story. I mean, I never thought of anything. And now there have even been novels about the events after six, which isn't at all what I would have done with it. Uh, the Star Wars story is really the tragedy of Darth Vader. That's the story. Once Vader dies, he doesn't come back to life, the Emperor doesn't get cloned, and Luke doesn't get married." End quote. 
Uh, so on Disney acquiring Star Wars on October 30th, 2012, Walt Disney officially announced its acquisition of Lucasfilm, naming Kathleen Kennedy president of Lucasfilm, brand manager for Star Wars, executive producer of the Star Wars films, with Lucas serving as a creative consultant. Um, Star Wars Episode Seven was also announced in the same press release on the same day. In a 2019 interview with the New York Times, Disney CEO Bob Iger says that former head of Fox, Rupert Murdoch, uh, was furious that Disney managed to purchase Lucasfilm, pretty much stealing the distribution rights away from Fox, even though they'd owned the property for decades. So it's kind of like you own this franchise and you do nothing with it for decades. You know, it's no surprise that somebody swoops in with a better offer right. for George Lucas. Especially Disney. Exactly. Yeah. And it's ironic, too, because Disney would eventually own the movie properties that Fox owned in 2019. Right. So now, now they got all their shit. Getting into Kathleen Kennedy, um, like we just said, Kathleen Kennedy uh, is the president of Lucasfilm. Uh, she started out as Steven Spielberg's assistant, and she worked on Raiders of the Lost Ark with George Lucas. Fun fact, during Raiders of the Lost Ark, yeah, you know we talked about on uh, episode four, uh, everybody got dysentery. Everybody got dysentery during Raiders of the Lost Ark, too. So that's the thing. Uh, she, along with her husband, Frank Marshall, and Steven Spielberg founded Amblin Entertainment. And she's been the producer of a ton of movies uh, like Temple of Doom, the whole Back to the Future trilogy, Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, E.T., The Sixth Sense. Pretty much, if you grew up in the 80s or 90s, she's made one of your favorite movies. Her catalog is, like, huge. That's a crazy resume. Yeah. If you look at her Wikipedia or IMDb, it's just pages long of the amount of stuff she's worked on. So, in 2012, she met with George Lucas, and uh, he told her that he was thinking of stepping away from Lucasfilm. Kathleen Kennedy thought at first that he wanted her help picking his replacement, and she started to kind of give him names. But it turns out that George wanted to meet with her because he wanted to pick her as his replacement. So she took the job, and a couple of months later, Lucas told her about selling the company to Disney. A few months later, the sale happened. So she was hired before by George before Disney ever took over. And I know there's a lot of misconception that Disney put her or hired her as the president, but this was 100% of George Lucas' decision before the Disney acquisition ever happened. Um, some cool facts that I found out in a Vanity Fair article about her. She was the quarterback on her middle school's all-boys football team, uh, and she won the U.S. Women's National Championship for Javelin at age 36. Uh, yeah, wow. Yeah, Get it. And she'd only been doing Javelin for a couple months and wow. she won the championship. So I thought that was so randomly impressive. What the hell, dude? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty dope. Um, after the purchase of Lucasfilm went through, Star Wars saw almost immediate changes uh, with Lucasfilm pulling most of its resources to focus on The Force Awakens. In the prequel episode, we talked a lot about the Clone Wars series, the 3D Clone Wars series that Cartoon Network was producing. That series was canceled with a new Star Wars animated series, Star Wars Rebels, being introduced in 2014. Uh, Dark Horse Comics no longer had the license to produce Star Wars comics, and uh, all the Star Wars comics moving forward would be produced by Marvel, which was owned by Disney at this point. All expanded universe material, aside from the Clone Wars animated series, would no longer be considered canon, and a new Star Wars story group would be in charge of streamlining the new expanded universe material. So all the novels, games, etc. that came before 2012, none of that stuff mattered anymore. They pretty much dumped it all and said, none of this counts. Yeah, yeah, none of this is story. Any previous Star Wars expanded universe stuff would be known as Legends, and anything new 
knew that was produced after Disney acquired Lucasfilm would be known as canon. So that's the stuff that actually counts. LucasArts, the official developer of the Star Wars franchise games up until the Disney purchase, stopped developing games entirely with most of its staff being laid off. All Star Wars games were moved over to Disney Interactive Studios and Electronic Arts, EA, was given the exclusive Star Wars game development license for consoles and PC. That's gotta suck if you were one of the people that is in like this company putting out a great product all of a sudden you get bought out but I mean that's gotta suck I would think yeah because I think during that time they were producing Star Wars Battlefront 3 oh the, yeah there were yeah. those great games you know yeah. yeah they had Star Wars 1313 which was like a uh, which was a bounty hunter I just remember Battlefront game. was a big one right oh yeah, yeah. 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 people were waiting for part 3 like yeah. for a long time they were so waiting. to be a part of that like I mean you would think you have job security and then all of a sudden like Here's the transition of the rights. Bye. See you later. That would suck, dude. Also, in early 2013, it was confirmed that Lucasfilm uh, under Disney would develop standalone films in addition to the new sequel trilogy. Since the acquisition, Lucasfilm under Disney, um, as of now, 2019, uh, has gone on to produce five feature films, uh, multiple animated series and shorts, and the first ever live action Star Wars series, The Mandalorian. You know, it's on Disney+. Plus. In an October 2018 article, uh, it was reported that Disney had recouped its original $4 billion investment with its movies making over $4.8 billion at the box office, in addition to the money Disney was making from licensing and merchandising. Uh, this acquisition was called in that article one of the smartest acquisitions in history. So, you know, the other acquisitions Disney made, they bought Pixar, they got Marvel, of course. Uh, Disney paid $7.4 billion for Pixar in 2006, and it's made $13.2 billion off of them since then. Uh, Disney paid $4 billion for Marvel in 2009 and made over $17 billion since then. Jesus. That is crazy. Yeah. But did you say $7 billion for Pixar? Uh, $7.4 billion for they, Pixar. They paid more for Pixar than they did for Star Wars or for Marvel. That's kind of... I mean, I guess it makes sense, but it just still seems crazy to me. I think because Marvel was kind of dying, remember? Yeah, that yeah. is true. Marvel was on the brink of bankruptcy, so yeah. <laughs> the other thing that I would say is I feel like with Pixar, they probably, I, I get for all of these companies, they bought it for future productions, right? right? Yeah. But Pixar was still very like n- new, I guess, versus mm-hmm. the other ones which were like. Well, it's also, was I think it was currently making money too. When you when you think in the grand right. scheme of things, Marvel at that time was kind of Like you can buy money. Star Wars and think that you can put out more Star Wars content and right. make money, but you're not sure. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember when they first started, like Pixar wanted to be its own thing before yeah. originally, but I they didn't want to. So, yeah. yeah. Maybe that's another reason why, because they didn't want to sell. Maybe. So they paid how much again for Star Wars? Four billion is what you said? Uh, yeah. And they already made that back within just the movies alone. We're not even taking into account the actual Star Wars land, right? I mean, how much did that increase revenue at the actual park oh, and all right. that? You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know how you would like like Disney value and like that, Lucas go back way Star Tours at yeah. Disneyland. You know, um, whenever that was built in the eighties, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting to me that Pixar was worth more. Yeah. It's almost like twice as much, almost yeah, twice yeah. as much as either Marvel, Marvel or Star Wars. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. But I kind of get it. I mean, it's kids' films. They always do well. I feel like every Pixar film does really well. Yeah, at the box and, and I th- they were coming out with content all the time because, like I said, Marvel hadn't was on hadn't really come out with any good movies prior to the Disney acquisition. And then, well, Spider Man and Spider Man Two, X Men One and Two. Yeah, but <sighs> to, you know, like I said, you are kind of taking a gamble to say like we're gonna buy this franchise and we think we can make better content than what we have been given. Yeah. But you don't know that you're going to make better content versus Pixar, which was coming out with hit after hit after yeah, hit. It's it more of a sure thing, yeah. maybe. I don't want to talk about this for too long, but I'm just kind of curious with the Marvel acquisition. I mean, isn't that kind of complicated too? Because they're not getting everything, everything, mm-hmm. right? I mean, now they have Fox, and I guess maybe at this point they own a lot more, but when uh, they just bought Marvel. With the Marvel stuff, 
aside from the movie licensing stuff, I think the movie licensing stuff was the only thing that was a bit more complicated because Marvel sold all of those rights because they were losing money yeah. or they needed to stay afloat. Mm-hmm. But they still owned all the merchandising, all the comics, all the animated stuff, mm-hmm. all the stuff that could make them money outside of movies. They owned all of that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I was, I was a little confused by that. All right. So let's move on. So let's get into our first movie. We've got Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens, released December 18th, 2015, and directed by J.J. Abrams. It stars Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Adam Driver, Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, Oscar Isaac, Lupita Nyong'o, Andy Serkis, Donald Gleason, Anthony Daniels, Peter Mayhew, and Max von Sydow. On Rotten Tomatoes, 93% of critics liked it, giving it an average score of 8.26 out of 10. 86% of the audience liked it, giving it an average score of 4.23 out of 5. Its budget was $306 million. Its opening weekend, it made $247.9 million. Its total domestic gross was $936.6 million, And its total worldwide gross was $2 billion. Good God. Jesus. How do we feel about episode seven? Before we go, can we talk about the trailer for it? Because I think this movie is so anticipated for so many, like my generation, obviously younger generations and whatnot. What did you guys think about the trailer? Did it like spark the interest of like, okay, I'm ready to go again. Let's like watch all. I mean, it really like, I think pulled me back into this Star Wars universe where I'm like, okay, I'm ready to see more. You know? well, well, it's, I think it, it was great too, because when you think about it, when was the, when did it, episode uh, three came out? It's been 2005. So, yeah. so we, we were Star, in college. Blink. Yeah. <laughs> so Star Wars was out of like the media. It, it's been so many years, like time moves fast. So people forget about things. So yeah. seeing that trailer was very refreshing because it also revealed little things, but it didn't really get details so you're just like yeah. who's that stormtrooper and why yeah. is he taking off his helmet like we've never seen that before really just like like a slideshow of things yeah. going on but didn't reveal too much so you're just like right best thing where you, you don't reveal too much but you get people inside because like you're trying to figure out who's that person we, when we did person? the top yeah, gun yeah. when we did the top gun trailer I, I brought up one of your favorite trailers you corinne you brought up this is probably one of your top five <clears> of all time my favorite Force Awakens trailer was the, the first one, the second trailer they had. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there's the teaser, the one you're talking yeah. about. Actually, I think my favorite trailer was the first one, where it shows Han Solo saying, "You know, it's true, all of it, or whatever." The Jedi, yeah. the dark side. That one's my favorite of okay. the trailer. I, I just feel like the way that whole trailer vibes. You get introduced to each main character, like Kylo, Finn, Ray. They kind of have their own brief summation of what their characters potentially will be yeah. going through. And then you have the Millennium Falcon going through the Imperial Graveyard, yeah, yeah. all that other stuff. So yeah, I, I was a BB-8. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah when he's yeah. coming out of behind yeah. the thing, and then yeah. he's playing all dramatically. Yeah, so I I really like that uh, that first official trailer. I like the one where it does show the Millennium Falcon at the very end. You know, and yeah. one what was the fighter that was going after the it? The Tie Fighter. Yeah, yeah, one of the Tie Fighters going after it. But then they did it. If George Lucas was directing this and they put that in, there was like fifty of them. That was not necessary. Did I you? Know they, they're like, hey. This is what we're doing. Let's, let's kind of have fun with this. Yeah. Like this is. Remember the the Kylo Ren scene where he's in the forest and he ignites his lightsaber. And there's like eight different things <laughs> yeah, that like go a, up. Like a cork comes out. <laughs> a wine bottle, a cork popper comes out. Yeah. I I like the, in that trailer, the biggest like money or the biggest field shot of all of it was when the home, Solo and Chewie. Yeah, and then yeah. he's like Chewie, we're home. We're like, home. Yeah. That makes you cheer as like a fan of anything. Yeah. It just makes your heart swell with happiness. I just remember this trailer uh, because it caused such a commotion. On the internet, right? Because, of course, it didn't draw me back into anything. But you know, a lot of people know uh, and are, are huge fans of Star Wars, uh, obviously. 
Uh, and so they were talking about things like, well, how is this clone trooper taking off his helmet if they're all clones? What's going on with that? Uh, how is Kylo Ren's lightsaber? How does it have these? Why does it have a hilt? Why does yeah. it have like a hilt? Like, yeah, yeah. What, what function does uh, that serve? Like, yeah. So <laughs> it was someone like, posted a YouTube video how this is not possible in the Star Wars like universe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right though. It caused a lot of controversy. Yeah, it explains it well on the Wikipedia or on yeah. the Star Wars like fandom page. But people were dissecting it immediately. But again, that's what a good trailer does. Like, it creates all this intrigue and yeah. you asking these questions while still explaining a general plot without giving anything away. Yeah. Right. How do you guys feel about the movie overall? I know there's a lot of talk about it being highly derivative and essentially being a remake of A New Hope. Do you guys kind of feel yeah, that way? That's, I, I, yeah, I get it's it. entertaining and it did its job, but I do have a problem with it being almost a carbon copy of A New Hope. I mean, they literally took the exact plot, same characters, and just added new ones a ki- to replace. A, a, ki- a killer planet. Yeah, that's like, just like BB-8 is the R2-D2. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you have... Like, yeah, Ray's Luke. There you even, go. Even like in Ray's costuming, I feel like they, it's a callback to Luke. But I was reading on Wikipedia and J.J. Abrams uh, said that because it was like the first installment of a new trilogy, he felt like he kind of had to go back and sort of reintroduce a new generation into like the Star Wars world. It kind of feels like a guilty pleasure of like, you know, sometimes you just want a crappy McDonald's burger. No. (laughs) (laughs) I I see where you're going with this. Okay, go ahead. 100%, like if it wasn't under Lucas, it would downright be copyright infringement. But, like, it's kind of what you wanted. It's kind of, like, my first reaction was this was love. Like, totally got me my feels. It was everything I wanted to see. It looked gorgeous. It yeah. was, it felt fresh. I love J.J. Abrams' cinematography in this. Like you were saying, with the flickering yeah. with the stormtroopers, when Kylo catches that laser blast. Like, the Kylo Ren's opening scene. But even though so, it feels better. yeah, I wanted to get over the opening scene. I, I think they the first half of this movie is done great. You yeah. know, and I feel like they put too much in towards the end, but... But like, yeah, the opening scene of the introduction, you see this guy's a badass. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Stopping, uh, I don't even know what, it's not a the bullet. Laser, the the yeah, blaster bolt. There you go. Stopping that. I mean, yeah, you could argue this is just like a new hope because like, just like a new hope, we get into the action right away. Yeah. And then it kind of slows down. We get to yeah. Ray's arc, just like when we go to Luke, you know, mm-hmm. Luke's arc, it kind of slows down. But then it, you, you had to do it just because you had to introduce a whole slew of new characters and, and after watching the film, yeah, you could argue, yeah, it's, it's basically a new hope again, but it, it was a fun adventure. I also think that because this is the first in this set of films that uh, George Lucas was not heavily involved in, mm. we're a lot more critical of like, oh, well, now this is like Disney doing this. Mm-hmm. They're just copying or whatever. Like if George Lucas put this out, everyone would lose their shit and be like, oh my God, this is so fresh and original. And we talked about this whole uh, rhyming scheme, the rhyming narrative that we talked about with the prequels, how Anakin like grew up on a desert. Luke grew up on a desert. Ray comes from a desert. We talk about how things kind of rhyme like, Anakin blows up uh, the droid control ship. Luke blows up the Death Star. Poe blows up Starkiller Base. There's definitely a rhyming scheme, but uh, like one of us brought up earlier, um, JJ felt like he kind of had to reel fans back in and be a little more derivative with the work. Uh, Personally, I have a huge problem with this movie being so derivative. I think everything was fine with this movie. You know, introducing Kylo Ren, showing how powerful he is, how he's just a killer outright. Introducing Finn and his complications of character as far as realizing that what the First Order about is not right. Um, Introducing Rey, showing what her day-to-day life is. I think that montage 
where it shows her and the Star Destroyer collecting junk mm-hmm. all the way to picking up food and crossing off, you know, another hatch mark in her yeah. house, which is sick, the the down at at. I thought that was right, pretty cool. She sees the old yeah. woman yeah. as a potential for her future. Yeah. Just kind of the depression of her everyday life. I thought that was really, really great character building without any dialogue. And that was something that we had not seen in Star Wars previously. And I think just the shots, the music was just gorgeous. Uh, Finn and Poe, their interaction escaping from uh, the Star Destroyer in the First Order, that whole uh, chase scene with the TIE Fighter was pretty sick. And for the first time, we get to see what it's like to pilot a TIE Fighter yeah. as opposed to just our antagonist being in there. Our main characters are, are inside of that. So I thought that was really cool. Even though we're on a desert planet again, mm-hmm. we're looking for another droid with another map or plans again. Yeah. That part of the movie felt fresh where the movie really grinded to a halt for me and lost its way and became way too derivative is the second they got to... Starkiller Ma- base? No. Oh. It's the second they got to Maz's castle. Mm. Because now we're introducing things that are coming out of left field. And we'll talk about this with later movies. Mm-hmm. But I feel like so many things are coming out of left field with this movie. We meet Maz, who's older than Yoda, knows the Force, isn't a Jedi, somehow has Luke's blue lightsaber mm-hmm. that fell off of his hand in Bespin decides not to explain it because Han Solo looks at the lightsaber and he's just like where the hell did you get that and he looks pissed when he sees it mm-hmm. or he he's like distraught or yeah. has this sense of urgency or anxiety and he's just like where the hell did you get that and Maz is just saying well that's a story for another day like I said we'll talk about this with episode 8 but I feel like a lot of things are just introduced and doesn't really go anywhere we have another Death Star that's bigger that's even Han Solo calls it out it's just like so what it's bigger and I thought that was a cool meta joke but once once we get to Takodana I feel like the movie grinds to a halt certain narrative choices don't make sense Ray just runs out of the cave into the forest for what why I feel like the conversation he has with Maz is necessary, mm-hmm. but I feel like Maz as a character is throwaway, and I'll attribute that to Disney not really having a plan, like a three-movie arc, kind of how we spoke about George not having one with the prequels, right. not mapping yeah. it out entirely. Probably, yeah. Um, but we do get like one of the coolest like fight scenes on that planet, though, with the X-Wing, and like that single shot where you see it go all the way around, mm-hmm. and I think it's Poe that's doing all like, the... The one tracking shot? Yeah, yeah, it was... I mean, that's probably one of my favorite scenes mm-hmm. out of the movie. I just thought, I thought really of Galaga cool. I saw it. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought I thought it was cool, and and we also got a ground battle. We don't have a lot of ground battles yeah. in Star Wars. I think the only oh, one yeah. we really have is in the prequels. I think Attack of the Clones. Yeah, we yeah. have Attack of the Clones. Bringing up the ground battle, one of my treasures of this movie. They never really show it, but if you've ever been to like an air show when you see like a fighter pilot in the distance, what it sounds like, you actually see you know Ray and all, when they're looking at the Tie Fighters in the distance. You know, mm-hmm. I thought that was the coolest thing on Jakku, right? Where like you see him in a distance banking, and like you get the perspective of the person on the ground mm-hmm. I thought that was like one of the coolest things I don't know and I think one of the shots um, I think that was lifted from what Apocalypse Now that's yeah, an with apocalypse. the sun in the background yeah. 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 in the background yeah. so I thought that was really cool again like this movie looks gorgeous yeah. like mad props to Abram to the, to the art team did you like Starkiller Base though I thought it looked cool. I thought it looked really? cool as shit. Yeah. Again, just a huge rip off of the thing. But I like the trees, like you know, disintegrating when it was firing up out of the core of the planet yeah. and all that. The uh, that one kid giving his speech. I forget this character's name. Uh, the evil Ron Weasley. Oh, uh, Donald <laughs> Gleason. So yeah. we got General Hux giving his best Hitler speech. Right. Yeah. But again, like seeing the first order stormtroopers, like that shot looked great. I was like in that scene. Like I felt like I was in that area. But like to your point, I actually liked Moss. Granted, a lot of things they didn't follow up with. Yeah. I, I just as a character, I found her charming enough. 
so to your point that they didn't go anywhere with her, do you feel like you would have, in hindsight, you would have felt more reconciled with that if they explored that more? And I know we'll get into it more in eight, but yeah. like if they had followed up on that, do you feel like in hindsight you would have felt better about it? Oh, there's a lot of things in this movie that are either thrown away or just not brought up again in eight. Right. And you know, once we get to Last Jedi, we'll bring we'll bring that up. Look, a lot of people are gonna shit on Ryan Johnson for the Last Jedi, mm-hmm. but I got I got some beef with JJ for this too. Right. Um, in this movie, there's just a lot of stuff crammed in that just raises your expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, Ray touches the lightsaber and she has a vision of Luke on Bespin, and Obi Wan's voice comes in, and it leads to a lot of assumption. And that's that's more on the fans' part for making those assumptions and having those fan expectations about where the story could go. But I feel like if you didn't have a definite concrete plan of where this Ray character is going to go or where Snoke comes from or mm-hmm. if none of that's going to get explained you can't you can't do that like you can't introduce oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. yeah you can't introduce this emperor type character without any fully developed idea of where he comes from or where he's going to go you can't introduce right. somebody like Maz now if you kill Maz in this movie I could get over it because mm. she served her purpose right but if you leave her alive and her fate is unknown in this movie because they don't ever bring that up which is crazy. Do you think though that like Disney at all had any influence in that to keep it open for potential like they're doing with the Mandalorian, like potential TV shows, potential spin-offs, potential whatever, to have these characters sort of open-ended for future, you know, sort of markets for I them? Th- yeah. I think their goal was to just get this movie out. Because oh, no, 100% yeah. at the time, yeah. Yeah, because no, the day the day they announced their acquisition, they announced episode seven without any director, without any script, without anything. Like mm-hmm. George Lucas had outlines for where he wanted a sequel trilogy to go. He had written some and he he had even gotten some of the actors involved saying, hey, you know, I'm thinking about doing seven. And he had put ideas together for this movie, for this sequel trilogy. And, you know, I'll get into JJ and George in a little bit, but they didn't have an outline, Disney. They didn't have mm-hmm. a true outline. It was pretty much, we own it now, let's make a movie and let's let's just go. There's no gap. They went into production right away and all their resources went into working on episode seven immediately. Whatever project you're on, go to seven. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much how they operated. Uh-huh. So I know that um, George had like an outline of where he thought the universe would go from the original trilogy. Does anyone know what that is? Do you know what it is? Yeah, I got it. Um, so, you know, he's the creative consultant for the trilogy at this right. point. He was made a creative consultant after the sale. Just and for a really short period, though, right? Yeah. Like, for, he wasn't he, there for very long. He's still there, and they do consult him. But I think the expectation, at least from his side, was that he was going to be much more involved in the first movie, at least. Right. Um, I mean, I even read that he even said, like, I couldn't be on set there every day. I would have just taken over and they would not have allowed me to do that. It's not mine anymore. Yeah, and he even said, like, I wouldn't want to disrespect JJ by pretty much being over his shoulder. Right. But George Lucas's original plan for the sequel trilogy involved midi-chlorians. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Everyone's favorite thing about Star Wars. Yeah. So uh, No idea it, what you're talking about. <laughs> in an independent article, uh, Lucas says that the point of the midi-chlorians was that they were going to feed directly into the sequel trilogy, which is why he introduced them in episode one and kind of brought them up again in episode three. Uh, so the story of the sequel trilogy would be about uh, symbiotic relationships and ecosystems. Now, I'm assuming this would be both literally and figuratively, um, the way people kind of operate. Uh, and there's a quote from him uh, where he says, uh, the next three Star Wars films, we're gonna get into a uh, microbiotic world. <laughs> 
Come on, man. Yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> but I just thought about like shrinking down on a little spaceship. What's that movie where they go into somebody's body? Oh, surgery. Osmosis Jones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. DJ, real quick, metachlorines are like bacteria that live in your blood. It explains the so metachlorines explains like there's a the force there's a biological uh, like you're biologically predisposed to yeah so literally microorganisms. So Got it. before it's you can the force was something you just kind of. You're you, born with it or you don't have it yeah. or you train to get it. It was more Zen or martial arts like before that. And now it's just however much is in your bloodstream kind of predisposes yeah. you to how strong you, you, you can measure how strong somebody is by how much midichlorian. Oh, I remember this. Yeah. yeah. I don't have a problem with that. What I do have a problem with is that it's directly tied to your ability to use the force. Yeah. So for example, Darth Vader isn't as powerful as he could be after he lost all his limbs because he just lost body parts that had midichlorians in them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the explanation. Yeah. How do you make three movies out of that, though? Yeah. yeah. But uh, um, but he to have seen that. <laughs> he does say, um, you know, he's talking about the microbiotic world, and he says, uh, but there's this world of creatures that operate differently than we do. I call them the wills. Remember the wills for from that uh, first title for Star Wars? I think it was like Mace Windu and the Guardians of the Wills, oh, like yeah. we talked about. Mm -hmm. So he says, uh, and the wills are the ones who actually control the universe. They feed off of the Force. Back in the day, I used to say, ultimately, what this means is that we, beings, are just cars, vehicles for the wills to travel around. We're vessels for them. And the conduit is the midi-chlorians. The midi-chlorians are the ones that communicate with the wills. The wills, in a general sense, they are the force, uh, end quote. Are these, like, higher dimension beings? Or are these, like, other aliens? Not explained, really. Uh -huh. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of, like... Um, Maybe I'm off base here, but it kind of reminds me of like Men in Black when they like do this whole movie and then they like zoom out right. and then there's like a whole other, they're right. part of a whole other ecosystem. Like playing also, marbles with the universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the storyline wise, this takes me to like a Greek sort of pantheon gods, like where we're getting, where they would go next. I mean, you've seen the Clone Wars animated series, the 3D one, right. where they go to that one force planet where they have like the brother, the father, and mm -hmm. the sister. Yeah, yeah. Like one represents the dark side, one represents the light side, and one is kind of the in between right. where Anakin has his force trial. It be cool if they went in that direction yeah conquer the larger aspects of the force which i think they get into a discussion about in the last jedi but it doesn't really go anywhere but i i would hope that that's where george lucas's head was at considering he oversaw that series it sounds more like possession like yeah depending on your midichlorian levels like they hop from one body to another and then they just possess your body like you said as a vehicle that's really weird yeah it's I, I, I don't know where characters would fit in. in when that, did he say all. this? After he sold it to Disney? He said, I think he said this after he sold it to Disney. Yeah. He did talk a lot about how he wasn't, he, he didn't want to get involved and kind of overstep his, his boundaries and all that other stuff as far as, uh, you know, letting JJ kind of direct his movie, selling his company, knowingly selling his company, knowing that Disney was going to do their own thing. He didn't want to intrude because it's, then it defeats the purpose of selling your company. Like, mm -hmm. why, why step in like that at all if you do not want to be there in a directorial capacity? You know, he does talk about the creative differences they had. There's like a 2015 interview on uh, CBS. He says pretty much he handed over his treatments. So the treatments that we just spoke about, he handed them over for Disney to use in the next films, but the ideas were kind of scrapped. They said, you know what, these are cool and all, but we ain't going in that direction. We wanna, yeah. we wanna go in a more, we wanna make something for the fans. And so what he said uh, in a 2015 interview, um, he said, uh, quote, 
they wanted to make something for the fans. Uh, people don't actually realize it's actually a soap opera and it's all about family problems. It's not about spaceships. So they decided they didn't want to use those stories. They decided they were going to do their own thing. So I decided, fine, I'll go my way and let them go their way. And then he kind of goes into the discussion of not wanting to be a micromanager or being over JJ's shoulder. I mean, when you watch interviews with him, he does seem kind of broken up about it. And I 100% feel what he's going through. You know, this is something you've created. And to kind of see it be so derivative and not go in the direction you want it to go can be a bit depressing. But at the same time, you made the first move in selling your company. Yeah. Like nobody approached you and said, give us your company. You reached out to Bob Iger. You reached out to Kathleen Kennedy and turned over the keys. I is also he- don't think this is a bad direction to take it in. Honestly, obviously I'm not as crazy about it as you guys are, but I think it still is a family drama or a family soap opera. I really do. Like seeing how the three protagonists in the original trilogy grew up Han and Leia got married or had a kid. Uh, that's still very like family oriented. Ray's searching for her family. How are they connected? You know what I mean? Like it's still, it's still to me you seems have Kylo like Ren. Nice, yeah. yeah. Personally, I think he's being a bit overcritical. I think a lot of the things as, you're talking about, TJ, has I think right he's to jealous be. at all. Yeah, I do think for he's sure. Yeah, I mean, that's, he, this is Lucas though. Like he's so flippy, he's so back and forth, and like he's happy to sell to Disney. He's like passing on the keys, ready to retire, as it were. He goes so back and forth between everything he wants. Like he says he wants one. There's no more Star Wars. It's well, done. Well, these are the plans for the new Star I Wars. Think, like, honestly, he, I think as anybody would be when you create something like that, you probably have two minds about it. You, yeah. You're yeah. happy to pass it on and let someone do something that you don't think you had it in you to do, but you also wish you still were part of it. Definitely, you know? but once you make a decision, you commit. Like, that's growing up, you know? You don't, once you decided you're gonna do a plan, you stick with it, you see it through, especially in like public interviews. But or maybe he just isn't, like to your point, he's just not, he's just airing out his mind, he just doesn't care. Like, I th- you know oh, I mean? he for sure does not give yeah. a fuck. I think this has a lot to do with the reception to the prequel trilogy, because when, okay, look, it's 2019 yeah, now, definitely. going into 2020, a lot more people have fallen in love with the prequels. Even people that have hated them at first, they've come around to them, and I think it has to do with the realization that you're not going to do these over. You know, you got to look at the good in these movies as well as the supplemental material that has come out since then. So you got the Clone Wars cartoon, the comics, a lot of fleshing out of what wasn't able to be fleshed out in those movies. A lot more people hold those movies near and dear. Also, the kids that grew up during the prequel era, like us, we appreciate them a lot more than people that grew up in the 70s and 80s. But I think that initial backlash to his three movies really affected him to such a degree that when he sees that these new movies, which are copies of his original are being celebrated so much that kind of hurts him a little bit yeah there is a bit of jealousy in there i don't know if you guys have watched a lot of interviews with him talking about star wars and the sale to disney but there is this i don't want to say passive aggressive but that there's this kind of apprehension to say what he really feels Justin, you talked about the whole like white slavers comment. Yeah, he made in uh, what was it, Charlie Rose? He was a Charlie Rose. Yeah, yeah. He said um, these movies are my kids, and I sold them to white slavers that take these things. And he kind of trails off and quickly changes the subject because he knows he's about to dig himself into a hole. You referring know, to Disney when he said that. Yeah, we're referring like, to yeah. Disney, and I think his issue is that he doesn't like the fact that they're uh, mass producing these. If that makes any sense, he's kind of. Yeah, I mean, it took him how long to come out with the first three and then the prequel, the prequel. trilogy. I mean, it took him, I mean, even the original trilogy from the first film launch to the second or the third, it was a pretty decent amount of time. Yeah. And, and, and even, now they're like churning out a new yeah. Star Wars movie every year. Every year. And now, I mean, 
used to be, you know, you came out with a Star Wars film like every three years. You just have to wait. That was, and that was the expectation. Right. And then when Disney took over, it feels like they had a timeline set. We're going to come out with this, this, and this. But, I mean, what do you expect when you sell it to Disney? They're going to take this? I mean, Disney gonna... is known for sort of taking intellectual property or whatever and just churning them out, milking them for as much money as they can they, have. They spent $4 billion on and they got to make their money back somehow. What do you expect they're going to do? Just sit on this or hope Maybe one George day? hoped that they would make their money back over a longer period of time than on the first film alone. I'm sure the shareholders yeah. hope that too. Yeah. Oh, no, no, take your time. Make your money back whenever you get a chance. We'll get it back whenever, yeah. guys. Yeah. I mean, I got, but I like their plan. I like what they're doing with the uh, individual movies in because they're just one-offs. You can just kind of have fun with it. You have more artistic liberty. You know what I mean? TJ, I think you spoke about this earlier. This ain't the first time George Lucas has done business with Disney because yeah. like they've had him at the theme parks forever. So yes, he's seen what they've done. Like this was after Marvel. You know, like he's seen what they've been able to do after Pixar. And I think if you go online, you can actually see a timeline of the amount of releases that have come out for each of those three subsidiaries. Obviously, Star Wars went from making a movie every three years to waiting. 15, 20 years to make the prequels. Marvel was doing two movies a year and now they're making almost four a year. Pixar was releasing a movie every two to three years and now they're cranking out a movie every year, sometimes twice a year. Yeah. In addition to Walt Disney Animation Studios. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's kind of like what do you what do you expect? But you know, George Lucas did eventually apologize for his you know, remarks. Uh, he did say that he does appreciate what Disney is doing with JJ, Kathleen Kennedy. Um, look, I, I've seen a ton of I've, Yo, the amount of fucking research we did for this episode, we should all have like fucking master's degrees in Star Wars. But if you watch a lot of the interviews, you can definitely see a lot of the, uh, you can hear and see a lot of the the kind of pain in his voice that, yeah. that he didn't, yeah. that they didn't take the sequels in the direction that he wanted to go. But let's get back to the movie. Yeah. <laughs> As far as, you know, the new characters go, you know, we'll get into the old characters later, but how do y'all feel about these new characters? One of my favorite characters, because he's in every single Star Wars other than the Star Wars story, is R2-D2. I love him. So when they're introducing BB-8, I'm kind of like, okay, I see where you're going, but I love BB-8. I think he, (laughs) how do you not like him? I mean, R2-D2 is universally, like, everyone loves him, you know, C-3PO. That's a different category, but <laughs> but BB-8, I feel like everyone, whether you're old, young, or my age, I'll put myself in the middle, you have to love him. I yeah. mean, like, I, I love BB-8, you know? And, and I, TJ's comes, looking, oh, I thought you were like. Oh, I was looking yeah. at you because you said you put yourself in the middle. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's marketing genius. Because you know when Dizzy took over this property, what are they going to do to turn out as many new toys as possible? And, Absolutely. Uh, and, and when you see the, the, when you see BB-8 rolling, you're like, okay, what the hell? But I think he was great. I thought it was great. The cool thing about BB-8 is that he's 100% practical, yeah. which yeah. is amazing. I think uh, there was a design for it and JJ approved it. And I think the engineering guy they were just like well, how the fuck are we gonna make this ball roll and he, and he was just like figure it out he's just like, <laughs> he's like figure it out and eventually they did it so if you go back and watch the Star Wars Celebration 2015 panel BB-8 rolls out on, on stage, stage and I think he interacts with R2 a bit but that is 100% real the way they get him to roll along move his head wow. all that other stuff and I gotta say that's a great job because I think they had um, multiple people with like remote controls mm-hmm. controlling him mm-hmm. was it Ben Schwartz I was gonna say Ben Schwartz did the voice if you will of VBA yeah like you know John Ralphio 
from Parson oh, Rec. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to yeah. Parson Rec fans. So yeah, so shout out to Parson Rec. Um, he did. It's also on House of Cards. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and another guy, they were in charge of kind of doing like the inflections of all his beeps and stuff. So you really feel kind of the personality the same way that you feel it from R2, the way he beeps without saying anything. And I got to give them props because you can tell when BB-8's happy, laughing, yeah. sad. His scenes when he was shocking Finn and he gives a thumbs up with the lighter. I was losing my <laughs> shit, dude. It was amazing. Dog, but, yo, that but, lighter but, scene. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. You can tell with the way he bobs the top of his, I don't even know what it's called, the top of it, but when it goes down, obviously he's sad. Or oh, his he, head and it yeah, moves. Yeah, you can really show emotion on that. I thought it was great, you know? Yeah, I think they did an excellent job. And he's the first character we see in the movie because yes. he's looking up at the stars and yeah. he rolls away on the dirt. I was going to say, you asked him about the other characters, uh, the way they introduced Ray. I fell in love with Ray off those opening scenes. Like when she has a little old uh, pilot's helmet, she's going to put it on. It just, she was so adorable, yet so strong and self sufficient. Like everything, I honestly, I love Ray. I think she's an excellent character. And I love what they did with her in the first movie. They really kind of brought us back to kind of that pure protagonist, especially when and then later with her in Solo, the mm-hmm. and their interactions and the kind of passing of the torch there. She's like that sort of unique hybrid in between Luke and Han for this mm-hmm. next generation. Yeah, uh, excellent film. pilot, mm-hmm. great in combat. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think she has all all the aspects of of those two characters. You could even argue all three. You know, she's not royalty or anything, right. but she does have like a, a really great sense of right and wrong. Mm-hmm. She refuses to pawn off BB-8 for more food mm-hmm. so she's definitely got the Leia in her as well I just want to bring this up just because you mentioned it Kerwin when that big I don't know what kind of alien he is that um the wa- rations yeah, yeah the rations guy do you know who's playing that character Simon Pegg isn't that Simon Pegg? Simon yeah Pegg? that's yeah. Simon Pegg yes <laughs> it's crazy too because he had the suit on like it's not like most of it isn't CG which is no crazy. it's like a two-piece suit and I, I, I watched some of that and he's like he's like out there sweating his balls off probably <laughs> they put the top half back on I was like oh my god he just wanted to be in a Star Wars movie and yeah. I feel like that's we talked about that before but yeah he just wanted to be in it any way shape or form oh fun fact about this movie they're in the desert nobody got dysentery this time Uh. (laughs) so um i think ray goes on a pretty interesting journey Uh, you know we'll get into a little bit of the controversy surrounding this movie Mm -hmm. as we go on but i think she has a really interesting arc i know i kind of complained a bit about introducing things that aren't really explored or brought up later on and look we got one movie left who knows what the hell is going to happen so i'm not going to disparage disney entirely or jj or ryan johnson or whatever i think uh, her journey is really interesting because she's clinging to this place that she's clearly suffering in throughout the movie she wants to go back to jakku finn's like nah we can't go back to jakku i have to go back Um, she has that conversation with maz pretty much coming to the realization that the people she's waiting for never coming back i think it's a good arc for her to kind of get away from that life of monotony that you brought up, Justin, where she's kind of seeing what could potentially be her future mm. in that older woman scrubbing right, her parts. Right. That's a really great arc for her to go on, kind of letting go of kind of her prisoner's past and being free and being able to explore and take this opportunity to explore her greater destiny. I think that's a really powerful arc for her. And see, that's why I can kind of forgive some of the downright like rehashing of like A New Hope, if you will, in this movie. Personally, I always love it in sci-fi and like comics, whatever, when they do alternate universe version stuff, like, you know, Evil Justice League or like uh, the Joker's Batman type of stuff. So to me, this draws on sort of parallels, again, like we're saying, where she's kind of solo, but she's also Leia and Luke. Kylo, who is totally the 
later in this movie, but yet you see him doing being more youthful. You see him struggling to be dark instead of like being set up as the man, as the dark force. He's a kid trying to fill in this role, which is something we kind of haven't seen before. I, that's what I was gonna say. Like, I feel like Kylo Ren is such a great character and kind of moving from Rey into Kylo. You know, every other bad guy before this has just been bad, but like you really feel the conflict in him right. throughout the entire film and throughout The Last Jedi, of course. And it's just a really interesting take because it's not something that we've seen and it, it's definitely a more in-depth character than what we see with like Darth Vader or mm. Darth Maul or any of the other just plain evil guys. Right. Like this dude is is struggling and you and you feel that conflict when, in him. When you feel or you see it, is it before or after he takes the helmet off? The first time that I notice it is when he has a tantrum and he starts yeah. like just like ripping right. and shashing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, and, and he has more than one tantrum yeah. in this in this movie. And it's it's so interesting to me because every other uh bad guy in, in this universe has been a little self-controlled, forceful for sure, but more self-controlled well, I was gonna say, than if what this guy Vader, is. He would have killed the messenger in that same scene. For sure. Yeah. Whereas he's just so, or choked him and not. Right, killed him. Right. But like the, the, <laughs> right. the thing is like as soon as he had that tantrum with the helmet on before he took it off I was like this bad guy is like deeper than any bad guy that we've had before just because he doesn't have control of his own self it feels like. And what an interesting choice too to make another Skywalker a bad guy. I think that was a really interesting choice and for the first time like you're saying TJ we have a bad guy who's not all there. They're struggling yeah. to live up to something. You know, he's essentially on Luke's journey, but the bad side of it. Mm-hmm. He's like a whiny brat. He's trying to figure things out. And he's, you know, he's talented, obviously, all this other shit. But I think one of the more interesting things that we've never seen before is that we have a character who's struggling with a pull to the light side. That is something we've never seen before. Well, it's like a reverse Anakin. Same it's whiny reverse Anakin, because Anakin was whiny, too. And see, I think this would, I just think, personally, this is executed better because there's more subtlety in, like, again, we know he's a brat from that time me through not because he's yelling or saying I should be the strongest or I should be the great he's like just subtlety and delivery but again a great parallel of yeah, reverse Anakin, if you will. I think his character has a lot of potential. I think a lot of that potential is explored in the next movie. Um, I can't wait to see what happens in nine. But I, okay, I just got one issue. Mm-hmm. I don't. Th- okay, two issues. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got an issue too, so I'm curious what yours are. Okay, my first issue, and this is just a storytelling issue. He shouldn't have taken his helmet off until Han Solo told him to. Yeah, yeah. that would have been. That is, yeah, that would have been. He should deeper. Yeah, he shouldn't have taken his helmet off in front of Rey. He should have... Almost like it decredited him, right? Or some sort of... Yeah. Like, we already know he's Han Solo's son. Snoke says it when he meets with him. Hologram, whatever. But to take it off for Rey, it's such an underwhelming moment. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of my thing, too. Like, Adam Driver, he's he's a great actor. Black Klansman, like, he does a great job in his acting role. He's a good actor. But I was kind of bummed that there was a masked villain, first of all. Because I feel like it's very derivative of like Darth Vader and all that stuff. So like I was already bummed about that. But when he took off his mask, I was kind of like, like th- that's it. It's like a kid in there. <laughs> yeah. Like he looks like a young dude. It's not very menacing. Well, why does Why does he have a helmet on? It's not like yeah. with Darth Vader. He needed it to survive. Yeah, right. It was just like. Well, it, I think that plays into him of like he's trying to be Vader. Yeah. But, but if they would have like even like modulated his voice a little bit more to be a tad deeper or something, if they would have done a little bit more, I feel like I would have like believed it better. But like when he took off the mask, I was like. Why? Like, just leave it on, man. Or put it right back on. (laughs) And I think moving that mask reveal to be in one instance and when Harrison Ford demands it, when his father, because he says, you know, why, what do you think you'll see if I take it? And he's like, the face of my son. Mm -hmm. That moment has so much weight that 
Adam Driver could look like Jake Lloyd for all we care, <laughs> and and that moment would have more weight than the first. It time would have been more impactful. Yeah, yeah it's more it. impactful. So I think I think that was a missed missed opportunity from a narrative sense to really create an impact. Because then Kylo Ren is incredibly vulnerable at that point when he sees Han Solo. When you know before he kills him, you know I'm being torn apart. I don't know what to do. This and that. He has that really vulnerable moment. That mask reveal should have been saved for that particular moment because not yeah. only is he emotionally and psychologically vulnerable but he's allowed himself to be physically vulnerable and in the presence of your father with this whole thing, kind of like George Lucas said, being a soap opera about family matters, you know, shout out, you know, family matters. <laughs> um, Steve Urkel, what up? But um, it would have just made more sense. He'd be, he'd be physically vulnerable as well by taking off the mask. I agree because like in that instance, then he looks like his kid, like a kid almost, like a younger person that makes more sense as opposed to being menacing earlier on in the movie. It's like when he takes off his mask, I didn't feel it. But in that instance, yeah, it would have been, I think a lot more powerful. It would have made more sense. I think the audience would have been like, okay, well, it's like, it kind of makes sense because like it's, it's his kid. That's why he does look younger. I don't know. That's just me. I had a big issue with that. Though. And the cool thing is you would see him with the eyes of a parent if he oh, only right. took it off in that moment yes mm-hmm. yes yeah. Yeah. As opposed, yeah as opposed to ray it's just like some girl you don't know dog like why, <laughs> mm-hmm. why are you taking it off um you know but we got another character we got to talk about finn yeah. oh wait you said you had a second thing with oh no kylo. oh yeah yeah sorry my bad yeah so thank you tj my other trash i guess with kylo ren maybe we'll save this for harrison ford but i don't feel like harrison ford's death was good enough Personally. No, it, I it, agree. It, I think it was predictable. Like you knew it was coming. And it was not like it didn't have like that ooh when Darth Vader revealed he was his father. I think yeah. that was the, the arc it was trying to go to. But it, we know what's going to happen. It was predictable, like yeah. you said. They're on, I thought Harrison was on record saying, "I'm only going to come back if you kill off Han Solo." Yeah. Oh, because he wanted to die yeah. in Empire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was he was ready to die. Yeah. Um, the scene is shot well. I think the symbolism and kind of like the light in the sky going out mm-hmm. was done really well. Kind of like when the shadow comes over Kylo's face and he makes that decision to kill Han Solo. But I feel like Han Solo's murder was such a coward's murder. I wish Han Solo would have gone out in a much, not a spectacular fashion, but I wish he would have gone out a little differently. Yeah. I can understand from an emotional perspective how this is a powerful scene, but I don't think we've been given enough time with Kylo Ren for me to feel that way. If Kylo Ren did this in Last Jedi, I think it would feel a lot more intense because we've had more time to see him, yeah. if, if that makes any sense. No, I kind of feel like some guy we just met mm-hmm. kills Han Solo. Even though he's his son, they haven't interacted at all. We haven't spent enough time with him. You know, We have already seen his face, so this moment has less impact already. This could have been tweaked a little more or moved to the next movie, personally. Oh yeah, my first reaction was I was pissed. Like this bratty little kid, want, Vader wannabe, just killed Han freaking Solo. Like that was my initial like. Oh, and then he, he doesn't even leave his body on the platform. He like shoves him aside off the walkway. I mean, everyone's falling down a vent shaft. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, I literally. Everyone. In all of these movies. I literally thought he was going to have the soul stone after. Like the way he threw him off. I, I don't know. Red Skull's going to come out. <laughs> He's going to pass out and wake up with like the fucking. Floating in water and shit. Yeah, but moving on to Finn. Um, so we got Finn, the stormtrooper. So this is a character, a type of character that we have not seen before. Somebody who leaves the bad side to join the good side. We've never had a stormtrooper character outside of kind of the the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebel series, etc. The expanded universe. I think it's probably the freshest take on a character we've seen. What is it like to be a stormtrooper and come over to the good side? Because now you've opened up avenues into a part of 
of the Star Wars storytelling that we never get to see, at least on the big screen, mainstream. You don't have to read about it in a comic or whatever. Now that we've got a bad guy turned good, we can see what it's like to grow up as a stormtrooper, what their training process is like, what it's like to take command. And I think one of the biggest draws for this character was the fact that he has his own antagonist. We know Rey and Kylo are going to face down eventually. We know Luke had Vader. We know Anakin and Obi-Wan had Darth Maul, Dooku, Sidious, etc. But he has his own kind of demon to conquer, and that person is Phasma. That's a really interesting dynamic that could be potentially explored. He's a traitor, and he has his own Darth Vader figure within the Stormtrooper ranks. And I kind of feel like Finn's arc drives the first third of the plot. I think yeah, the first I think so. yeah, yeah, the entire first act is based off of Finn's unwillingness to slaughter innocent people. Well the movie's called The Force Awakens to your point and it almost feels like the force is awakening to Finn. Almost like pulling him out of the days of being the stormtrooper. Like he seems very confused in that fight. We don't know if this is his first fight, if he's been in other situations, but it like literally seems like he's waking up from being hypnotized. One of my favorite scenes in that that I thought was very unique, uh, that stormtrooper supposedly his friend is dying right there in front of him and he touches his helmet and the blood yeah. and kind of comes down to his helmet a little bit but again this all feels very like awakening like what the hell am I doing what the hell is going on and is that the first time we see blood really like in a Star Wars film no you see blood in um, Empire I think with Luke when he gets hurt by the Wampa he has like oh. blood I, I could be wrong but I, I do think oh, he's but I, but I think that visible that graphic I think this one like I don't know mm. when I saw it I was like this one of the first times we actually see oh, blood oh it was brutal that it's opening against fight against the white and yeah. it's like of the Stormtrooper's helmet like it's yeah it was a great shot yeah. Like, yeah and I was like holy shit they're taking a different route and especially when we see the scenes like the flickering lights like you guys are talking about it's like well, this is there's a couple scenes that are really dark we're getting some blood they, I mean these guys are not just missing objects shooting they, they, these guys are like actual people like, <laughs> yeah. going out there in the trenches you know yeah. they have emotions they're they're real people because you, know? you kind of get lost in that with the whole stormtrooper yeah. outfits everyone's the same you know yeah. yeah it starts off really dark for star wars film and it going back awesome. to going back to what you said justin kind of how we were talking about earlier with ray's exposition and how we didn't use a lot of dialogue and i think you brought this up jason and mugga there's a lot of confusion going around there's a lot of stormtroopers i like how without any dialogue without any sort of narrative exposition we're able to easily identify Finn by the three, you know, blood stripes on his helmet. And you can tell by his physical acting that he comes to the realization, like, what the fuck am I doing here? This is fucked up. I think John Boyega does a really good job with his physical acting while he's in that Stormtrooper outfit because you can sense the apprehensiveness, the uneasiness that he's feeling during this entire battle, you know, after he, he watches his friend die. Um, there's a lot more of that if you read the new EU stuff, but ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> so I thought that was really good on JJ to kind of tell both of these two main character stories without a lot of dialogue. You know, we talked about Finn's arc kind of being the through line for the first act. Um, his arc is an interesting story because he just wants to get away. His arc comes to an end in a great way. You know, he doesn't want to be a part of the fight at all, right? He doesn't want to be First Order. He doesn't want to be Resistance. Right. And he denies it for most of the movie. Like, I'm not with the Resistance. I just want to get out of here. Which, yeah. again, is another sort of solo, solo parallel. Solo wasn't part of the Resistance. Solo just wanted to get paid and get out of there. Right. Yeah. Um, what a great way to kind of cap his storyline by having him fight Kylo Ren. You know, he's he wants to get away. Obviously, he's best buzz with Rey, whatever, maybe he's into her, who knows. But the moment he ignites that lightsaber, like his arc is complete. 
he's decided to stop running away, whether yeah. it's for this. Because that, that was the second time he used it, right? Because yeah. the first one was, first one was uh, with this when he fought Daniel Craig. And that, no. <laughs> 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 yeah, so, oh yeah. all right, real quick, real quick tangent. There are cameos in this movie. Daniel Craig is the stormtrooper that Ray uses the force on. Um, so that's yeah. Daniel oh, Craig. Yeah. Going back Why to that. Why do a cameo and you, no one knows that it's you? Everybody wanted to be in this film and yeah. on the credited that's roles. So but that's, that's, the, that's kind of the point, though, yeah. and I appreciate that. Because, you know, we talked about this in pre-production, TJ, how, like, some actors take you out of the movies. I think this is a good way of having a cameo. Yeah. Without, like have it both ways yeah without it feeling forced yeah no pun intended I see what you're saying <laughs> I would say Finn's character like even before he fights uh, Kylo Ren like you kind of see like his a shift in his storyline when he decides to go save Rey cause he could've just left mm-hmm. he, if that's what he wanted to do he could've but he made a decision to get back through false pretenses of course like get back toward where Ray was on that ship or wherever, uh, whatever it was called, and save her, which he didn't have to do. And I think through his personal relationship with Ray, that is what kind of pushes him to actually do something. Yeah. And whether or not it's for the greater good or just his own personal relationship with Ray, I think that that was a nice way to kind of cap it with that fight with yeah. Kylo Ren because in the first scene, like they look at each other before Kylo Ren gets back on the ship. So I think that was a nice way to come full circle. Just a real quick point about Poe because we're not really talking about him a lot, but do you think it's weird? Because like after they crash land, Finn's looking around like a motherfucker trying to find this guy and he can't see him. He's looking around everywhere. He can't find Poe and then all of a sudden he shows up again and says, oh no, I was, oh, you know, I was over here and you know, blah, blah, blah. Isn't that kind of weird that Finn didn't see him at all? Do you think that was... You don't know how long Finn passed out for Right, because he just wakes up after the crash. So then Poe didn't see Finn either? Like, I just feel like there's not a lot going on. Like, it's a desert. Yes, there's a crash landing and, like, whatever takes over the ship at the end. But it's like, he's looking around, like, through everything, looking inside. I think the TIE fighters, what they crash in. And it's like, he's looking everywhere. And then Poe just, like, shows up all of a sudden. And they meet, like, you know what happened to you? You got my jacket, BBA, whatever. But it's like, you really didn't, you really couldn't find, do you think that was kind of weird? All right, so... Poe was supposed to die in this movie. Oh, he was? Yeah, so Oscar Isaac's character, Poe Dameron, was supposed to die in this movie on that TIE fighter crash down to Jakku. That right? would have made sense. Narrative sense <laughs> oh, makes, now it does. <laughs> makes perfect sense, right? Yeah. Like, how else do you get this guy to join the other side? You have the character that saved him die, and he feels some sort of moral or emotional obligation to continue on his legacy, right? From a narrative perspective, that makes sense. Especially he's wearing his jacket. He's wearing his jacket now. <laughs> and like, takes over BB-8. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Exactly. Well, like this, Because he lost his identity as a stormtrooper, which was no identity, but this guy literally gave him a name. Exactly. Yeah. Like so where are you clothes. going with this? How did he come back in? Because in, in the middle of the movie, it feels like an afterthought. They, they talk and like BB-8 gets all like you can... At least, the emotion. Yeah, the yeah, emotion yeah. is like it's depressed. Because like he thinks it's like owner or master or whatever it is like is gone has died and it's like then that's the end. Yeah, doesn't it make sense? Like Ray has developed this relationship with BB-8 and now Finn, an ex stormtrooper, is done in Poe's jacket. Like Poe's legacy has split to these two characters, right? That makes perfect narrative sense. Poe should have died because that is the catalyst to push these guys forward. BB-8 pushes Ray to join the resistance and Poe's um, active duty you know, to assist Finn in escaping pushes Finn to join the resistance. That makes perfect narrative sense. So what changed? (laughs) So what changed is that Oscar Isaac, great actor, love him. I think he's great in everything he's in. He went to JJ and was kind of like, yo, man, don't kill my character. I want to be in the movie. Like, don't kill my character. (laughs) I feel like it's a bit part. 
And so he had to convince JJ to keep him alive. JJ agreed and decided to keep him in the movie. And that's why he shows up. And I think to your point, Jason, I think it's kind of a bullshit explanation. Like, oh yeah, I got off the planet and uh, I've been on... uh, you know, uh, oh, I was just over there. Yeah, I was with the resistance the whole time, yeah. and I'm like, I'm you sorry. You went left, I went right. Oh, that was just this thing, anyways. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kind of like, I'm sorry. Your droid, your droid was left on this planet with these important ass plans, and you didn't think once to go right back and find him. You were just chilling with Leia. I just went back to business as usual. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like introduce a new character that's this awesome pilot. You know, do, do that. I, mean, I like this character, but I, I, I do like him. I like him yeah. too. I just think that part. It was the weird. It, it, was, it was weird. Because like, yeah. all of a sudden he's just, you know, he's flying this X-Wing. And just, we you know weird. what was even weirder is when he saw BB-8 after we find out that Poe's alive and he runs up and pets him. <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. It's like a, a poochie or a meowchie. Yeah. He's like, hey, buddy, how's it going? Like, that's how I greet Jackson. Yeah, yeah. Yo, if I, was, if I was BB, I'd be pissed. I'd be like, bro, you've been alive this whole fucking time. Like, what's right. wrong with you? Yeah. You can obviously tell, like, he wasn't meant to be in the rest of the movie. And I feel like this whole X-Wing run, uh, trench run that they've done, like, you know, the stuff looks great. The only problem, we've seen it before, right? If A New Hope was made today, it would look like what we see in this movie. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of the focus of that kind of new trench run and the destruction of the the base is given so much focus because we decided to keep Oscar Isaac in the movie. Mm. Poe should have died or you got to change a little bit more of the script instead of giving us a throwaway line to explain why he's alive or something like that. Before we shift to the old guys, let's talk about the First Order as a whole. How do y'all feel about the First Order? It looks cool, but it's just the an Empire reboot. It's just like we defeated the Empire, like that was the end of it in episode uh, six. It's just like post-death, like, oh no, it's the Empire still around. <laughs> like, you know, oh no, that didn't happen. There's, Honestly, it's so hard for me to keep track. <laughs> I mean, there's parallels to A New Hope as well. You know, you have Kylo Ren, Darth Vader, General Hux is like a Grand Moff Tarkin. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's, I hate drop him, her. dude. He's a bitch. I don't <laughs> like that guy at all. I'm sorry for my language. I do not like him at all. I, I don't feel any sort of like intimidation factor when he's on camera. And I think in, we'll get to Last Jedi, he's almost like they make fun of him in certain ways, but yeah. Yeah, see, I think that's the point. I think they're supposed to be, again, just like while we're talking about Kylo Ren isn't, isn't as menacing as we'd like, I think that's. They're supposed to be these kids wearing the costumes of the adults of what was. I think right. that's the you know like a, the a brand new generation. Right, like they're using their name for intimidation when again they're just a bunch of kids. Yeah, who you're probably right. You know, yeah. but again, like you have to draw on these. But if things. he's supposed to be like the grandma, oh, grandma no, wrong. I don't like, I don't like, like him at was all. Great when yeah. he has that conversation with like the name, the system. You know, like you're like right. this guy ain't messing around. You no, know, like, this guy just want, like, like it's like the mob. Yeah. Like these were the men. These yeah. were the dudes. These and, were the evil mob. And the thing, and the thing with Grand Moff too is like Darth Vader actually looked up to him, like yeah. he respected him. That had like, hey, he has his rank, he follows his orders. And General Hux is like, he tries to be in charge, but yeah. you know, he gets pushed around. He's a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so here's a suggestion: Why not merge the Phasma and Hux characters? Why not just merge the two characters? Because yeah. Phasma is intimidating as hell. Yes. Oh, yeah. Why not have Gwendolyn Christie also be in charge of the Navy as well as the Stormtrooper Corps? If you merge those two characters, that's one less character you got to deal with. And then you give more time and more substance to this one person because... And it would make sense her addressing the Stormtroopers in that speech I was talking about earlier. Yeah. Like, and, you would give her a greater Finn role. Finn is <laughs> just so much more of like... His arc just changed because you're going up against this guy or this girl, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Like, I think Hux, Phasma should have been Hux. 
just merge the two characters. I don't like Domo Gleason. Okay, I like him in other movies I've seen him in. He was great in Ex Machina. But I feel like in this movie, it just feels like cosplay. To your point, Justin, mm-hmm. it feels like he's playing dress up. If you put Gwendolyn Christie as Phasma, she could still have the armor. She could and still look, be in charge. And it looks gorgeous. Even when I saw her in the trailer, like a silver stormtrooper with that cape, like her costume is just freaking dope, dude. Sickest design in this movie, mm-hmm. period. I think that would have had more of an impact. Kind of like BB-8. I love BB-8, yeah, too. Right, I, right. Oh, wait, sickest human character. There you yeah, go. Yeah, well, we'll yeah, agree right, on that right, one. Right. Yeah, Phasma should have been Hux. No. No, definitely yeah. that would have made a lot of, that would have just it would have tightened it up and it would have raised the stakes like you're saying mugs for, yeah, for, for finn's finn, character yeah. but see like you said they're making fun of him especially in the next movie it's almost like he's a he's a low-key kind of yeah. villain without yeah. any redeemable qualities yeah right? you don't like him you don't fear him like tarkin he doesn't have any authority nobody respects him like you even see that in the next movie in last jedi oh, yeah, nobody worse yeah. yeah nobody gives a fuck about him you know one person we're supposed to give a fuck about is snoke having his big giant hologram giant hologram it's like the wizard of oz (laughs) (laughs) isn't it where he's like huge (laughs) there's no need to look behind the curtain (laughs) i have spoken (laughs) like you're saying bling more parallels now we have our darth vader character we have our grand moff Tarkin character now we've got our emperor palpatine character and we have snoke and Snoke is the leader of the First Order, and there's just so many things about this character that I was curious about because we didn't get any backstory for him, and we'll talk about this in A, like I keep saying, but there's a lot of things you see. He's a giant hologram. He's scarred. He may or may not be human. Yeah, he's deformed. He knows the Force. Somehow Mm -hmm. he's managed to rally the remnants of the Empire together to become you know, a stable working force. Who is this motherfucker? He's the most important piece of this 30-year gap puzzle. Without a doubt, he's my least favorite character of all of this, especially with what they did with him in the next one. Yeah. But, again, as you're saying this, though, like, this makes more sense to my point of, like, them being a bunch of kids. They're a bunch of kids unsupervised except this one old guy who found a bunch of kids to rebuild his empire. But, again, maybe they'll tie it together in the third one, but we have zero idea where this guy came from. He's just a Palpatine ripoff. The one thing I do like about his design, which we really don't see into the next movie, is he's not in all black. He's like in a golden robe. Yes. I, just, I just think it's kind of a nice little touch that uh, Sith Lord, but not traditionally wearing. Well, but he's black. still like a decrepit old fuck. Like, yeah. why does he have? <laughs> yeah. Why does he have to be that? Because he's a Palpatine sort of. Well, I'm just wondering if things will be answered in the Rise of Skywalker. I mean, I, that's what I'm hoping, and that's the only thing I can. That's why he. Well, Bling, I think you're going to make the point that he's not a Sith. Right? Yeah, he's not a Sith because, like, unless they're making up new titles, because you know we had Emperor Palpatine, now he's supreme leader, so it's it's not a Darth, it's not a, like the Lord, it's like it's yeah. JJ has specifically come out and said that Kylo Ren and Supreme Leader Snoke are not Sith. He said wow. that. Yeah. So with that said, you know we've known Jedi and Sith, right? So what the fuck are they? Like you're gonna have to explain that. If you're not a Sith, you need to explain who the fuck these people are. Like what what is it that they're after? Because the Sith want dominance right? right so if you're not a sith what is your end game here what is it well i'm sorry what were you gonna say tj when we we're talking about snoke i was gonna say to be fair in the original trilogy like the emperor we he was also just an old fuck who we right. didn't know who we didn't know a backstory for just to be but fair. we didn't yeah, see no, him until empire strikes back and there was a, oh no no he was he was an empire. He was an empire. And we really There's no hologram in New Hope, no, right? But, yeah, you're right. But yeah. they talk about that. They talk, they talk about it. I think the Emperor has done well because there's a lead up to it and you have to resolve storylines along the way. And in order for Darth Vader to be redeemed and have this arc as Anakin Skywalker, there has to be a bigger evil than him. Yeah. With this movie, 
I'm going to say it again. We're going to talk about it in The Last Jedi. But I don't mind that Snoke is introduced. But we need to know who the hell he is because See, he... See, to me, it just felt like the, more tra- the most transparent parallel, the most transparent one-for-one. One. Yeah. We need to explain who he is because he's the reason that this First Order is going about killing people and shit. Right. You know? Like we, have heavy relevance. Yeah, we need to explain that. Since there's the 30-year gap and nobody's there to explicitly tell us what has happened, you know, just like how Darth Vader portrayed the Jedi, and I was with the Emperor, and the Empire took over, we kind of get a pretty simple overview of what the Emperor is but, about. But, but I do... Like many prequels for these movies. But I do enjoy that they kind of left it unresolved, because then there's a lot of fan theory came out after the fact, like, who is this Supreme Leader Snoke? Is he really the Emperor? Is he a clone of the Emperor? You know, so... Yeah, the, the, I mean, the other thing we have to remember is in the trailer... <laughs> for the rise of Skywalker we hear Palpatine's laugh too so who knows what nine is gonna bring yeah and I'm not gonna shit on this movie or the next movie entirely because <laughs> look I'm not gonna because I don't know what the third one's gonna be yeah the payoff yeah. might be there it might come back full circle I'm like oh now that makes sense but we'll have yeah. to wait and see the same way we <laughs> spoke about um you know, Revenge of the Sith and Attack of the Clones. Attack of the Clones sucks because there's so much <laughs> introduced and there's no payoff. And I feel like this movie is gonna fail a lot because this movie introduces a ton of shit that The Last Jedi either disregarded or got rid of yeah. that I think that that ninth movie has to make up for that or explain a lot of the shit. So the way Snoke's introduced, I don't really care. I'm fine with that. I was under the assumption we would get more exposition on his character moving forward. But if none of that happens, then I have way more problems with this movie based on how nine turns out. Yeah. 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 I think we all agree with that. At one point, Leia says, you know, Snoke got to Ben. Can't wait to see what that's like. Speaking about Leia, how do y'all feel about her making a return? I love that she's in it, but I, I think that Leia has been away from acting a long time, or Carrie Fisher, since this movie. What do you mean? And she was in Scream 3. Okay. Family <laughs> <laughs> Guy voice, voice Yeah, she does, she does she great voice not, in Silent Bob Strike Back. She is not good in this movie. She's better in Last Jedi, but not in this movie at all. I, it was very hard to see any chemistry between her and Harrison Ford. Maybe it might have been the directing. I, I don't know. I just, every time she was on camera, I kind of cringe. I don't know how you guys feel. I mean, to kind of add to that, I, I can tell you that they cut a lot of her scenes because. It, so it might be not her fault. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's so, all directing. So there, there's, which, there's a lot of scenes that, so a lot of the scenes that they're using for the, the new Rise of Skywalker was cut from The Force oh, Awakens. So oh. to kind of expand on that, there was actually when um, Maz gives uh, Finn the lightsaber, there was a original shots that she actually gives the lightsaber to Leia first. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and that was all cut from the film. And so there's a ton of deleted footage just involving Leia. So we'll see what what they use in the new one. But yeah, that's why if, if it feels like her role is small and she doesn't have, have enough screen time and she looks terrible, that's yeah. probably why. See, as long as we're talking about ways to tighten up, <laughs> wouldn't it, as, as you're saying this, I'm thinking kind of on Kerwin's like ideas here, wouldn't it make sense to get rid of Maz and have Leia fill that role? Leia's had the saber. Leia passes it on to them. Leia's the one they turn to in dire needs. Yes. Instead of like Maz's, you know, parallel space bar, you know, it's just Leia's war base or hell, even just Leia, just, just go Leia's straight thing. to yeah. the resistance base, right. and that's where Rey finds a lightsaber because who who other than Leia should have it? Right. And Leia and Leia could speak of the Force similar to where the Maz does. Leia it's could be like definitely less convoluted. By right. Way. If we're tightening it up, and it, and it gives her character higher relevance and more screen time. Yeah, and then the First Order can attack that base. We can mm-hmm. still have the the X wing fight, mm-hmm. and then the base is just on that planet. Yeah, said, yeah. They can just have all that shit there, like mm-hmm. merge the Maz and Leia characters. Yeah, I think this movie suffers 
from too many characters at, at certain mm-hmm. points. We don't we don't need that you, shit. You need more toys though. That's the only reason. Yeah, more no, characters. Okay. I'm sorry. Who toys. the fuck has a Maz toy? <laughs> I'm just saying. It's, there's probably a Maz doll out there. Yeah, she's in Star Tour. God, I don't know. I did feel the chemistry between her and uh, her and Han when they met. But again, I don't know if this is because me as a fan, I haven't seen it in so long, so I'm just kind of in my feelings about it. But I did, you know, genuinely feel that little, you know, their hug and they're talking about their son and bring him home. And I did feel, had to get my feels about that. Yeah, I didn't judge their interaction or her performance that critically. Like, I, I thought it was okay. I mean, she's older. He's older. Um, yes, uh, Harrison Ford, Han Solo has way more charisma in yeah. this movie than she does. And then I guess Last Jedi, I think personally she does a better job. Maybe she's given more opportunity to have a better job. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what it is, but she does better. But I didn't, I don't know, I didn't see what you guys are talking about. I don't think it was that... I, I didn't either. Yeah, I, I would have loved to see, like I said, and maybe it got cut, but like a lot more of her, you know, her interaction with Ray, you know, wishing her like a mentory figure. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, and like I said, I, I didn't really get that. I guess she's in charge and everything, but it just, but like I said, it, a lot of it might have just been cut. Maybe hopefully we'll see it in the next one. Yeah, going on to Han, um, I think Han Solo's character, Harrison Ford's acting, really grounds this movie. Because you need something of an anchor to kind of connect it to those original movies and mm-hmm. give it a little more weight. And I'm glad that they chose him to kind of be there. Han, Chewie, and the Millennium Falcon are like the biggest tie into the originals. And you yeah. literally feel like it just time has passed. They, yeah. Like they're the exact same. They give this movie authenticity. Like they give it a clear as being Star Wars as being part a- of it. And I love that his he just wants his ship. He doesn't want to do anything. He's not really trying to be part of the resistance. He just say, hey, I just try, I've been trying to find my ship. And it gives us a length of time <laughs> too. How long this has been? Like you kind of see how. long Long, right, like how, how much actually, Harrison Ford yeah. has aged, like in this, at least the way they portray him, because we don't see Leia at this point, we just see him, and it's like, okay, I kind of see it's been like I don't know, thirty years plus, but it's like at least it gives you some kind of element of time. That I, is true. Too. I do feel like I could have done without that whole giant space worm scene, though. That was, yeah. that was, I felt like, yeah, like I could cut some time there to expand on some other characters, like maybe seeing more of Finn's life as a trooper. You're or talking about like the that. raid, the the raid. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. What are they called? Um, those twins, right? God damn it! I can't remember the gangs. The John, oh, the John Con- Wick Three Pro. Kanji Club. <laughs> yeah, Kanji Club. Yeah. Is this where you write Japanese letters? Kanji Club. <laughs> I don't know. But okay, every Star Wars movie has a monster scene. Yeah. I guess this was obligatory, but I just kind of felt like this whole sequence took me out of the movie. This sequence, along with going to Maz's castle, cut all that shit out. Just go straight to the base and focus on characters and build up to this Star Killer base thing. I can forgive Starkiller Base for being such a ripoff if we don't just spend so much time with this shit, like Maz yeah, exactly, and the yeah. castle and wannabe cantina music and yeah, exactly. Like again, yeah. and again, it would have made even more sense if it was Leia's base while the First Order was attacking. Do, do you think it's crazy that we keep talking about we want more of the character? I mean, we're all in consensus of like I want the character development when we're not even focused on these like visual things. When isn't that what Star Wars like? was put on the map for it and they I mean when it was first released it's like hey this is what it was I know there are the character but it's like that's what it was hey, visually this I thing will, is great well, now this is visually great but we're like no we, we don't want that we want more of the characters <laughs> I, right now I, mean, I, I will think say it's in the weird. first film like I didn't think there was like a ton of character development there <laughs> So like, like, you know what I mean? Like, we're talking about character development, but the whole of the first film was, like, the technology of it yeah. all back then was huge. Yeah. And, like, you never saw a film like that before, ever. Yeah. But the characters, I didn't think were that... But maybe we're so inundated with 
technology and stuff. Yeah. Like we're craving I that. I think there is a certain level of today's audience that needs the action, needs yeah. the sci-fi element, needs the CGI just because of the way that yeah. we've like yeah. grown up. Uh, and so it's really hard to like make a movie strictly about characters and not include some, especially a movie called Star Wars, <laughs> yeah. without That's any true. war. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, to get to Jason's point, I think it is two things. The novelty of special effects has kind of like worn off on people. Like We're we, almost desensitized to it, right? Yeah, yeah. We, don't, we don't care we about it anymore. It yeah. yeah, so it's just like, we expect that shit. So what else are you going to give me? Like, I need substance in addition to we Flash. Can, we can all agree this movie looks gorgeous, right? Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's a 100%. Yeah. yeah. They and, all do. But it's like, yeah. that's not enough anymore. And that's not enough. Because, because, again, because it's assumed at this point. Yeah. It's like, it's, hey, like, yeah. we get you can do this. We understand all that. But, like, what, do you, what else? Like, what else are we going to get? Because there's 20 other movies that are doing what you're doing right exactly, now. Exactly. Like, yeah. Star Wars, you're not as special as you used to be. You're not the only ones doing this now. And the other thing, too, is we're all over 30 at this table, right? We're older now. Typically, older moviegoers, they look for a lot more substance. Like, we're not teenagers. We're not kids anymore. So, like, the flashy shit that would have attracted us when we were in grade school ain't enough for us anymore. Like, we want more substance in yeah. our in our fictional material. So, I think we also got to look at it through that lens. Like, our age plays a role in this, too. But we're getting so away from that. Like, it's, it's all about the visual. Like, we're getting so far away from having these movies that are, I mean, like a casino or a, a Goodfellas where it's, like, about the story. It's about these characters Django Unchained yeah right? Django no Unchained no CGI like whatsoever a, yeah like a Quentin Tarantino movie like we, we get so far and we get these like sprinkled in you know throughout the year over the years but it's like it's far and few between because it's like it's all this CGI with Marvel Star Wars er, you know everything else under the sun well, I and think I, that's why the challenge for filmmakers now is to do both if you want to attract a younger audience which is what Disney intended to do. Oh yeah, here. I mean, yeah. That, they're they're trying to introduce Star Wars to a whole new generation, right? Because we had the original trilogy, which is like our parents' generation. We had the prequel trilogy, which is our generation, and now you have the Disney trilogy or Disney era, which is you know our nieces and nephews. You know, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no kids, kids, no kids here, no kids, um, <laughs> nieces and nephews. So I, you know, I think um, <laughs> I, I think they're trying to introduce it, and so. Finding that balance is very challenging with any film, but specifically with Star Wars films where you have to appeal to a really wide audience because we still have our parents, they're still us, and now there's a third generation that you have to appeal to. I just don't know that they like did it incredibly well, but... See, now this brings up an interesting point I'm wondering about movies. Like, I'm enjoying this movie a lot more talking about it with you guys, working things out, like coming to realizations. I feel like it makes it like good art, like a painting. You know, two people can see something different or it makes two people feel two different ways. I hate being spoon-fed everything. You know what I mean? Right. To me, that just makes it feel dull and banal, but like, this gives me more respect for it in talking about a movie. And maybe that, to me, is the way to judge whether it's good or not, whether it's a good conversation piece. I, which it, this definitely is. Yeah. yeah. Okay, also, I think this is the most Chewie's ever had to do in a movie. Uh, Chewie finally fires his bowcaster. He's yeah. never he's never <laughs> shot it once, and that thing is a fucking beast. Yeah, his shotgun of a bowcaster. Yeah. So going back to Kylo Ren, I think it really goes to show how powerful this dude is when Chewie can shoot him with the bowcaster that's been knocking fools out all movie long, and he takes one straight to the gut, and he's still able to stand yeah. at the end of the movie. Like you were saying, Jay, you know we've never seen blood like this. Kylo Ren is just bleeding out the Especially entire on that white snow later. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that fight was sick. Like I was saying about Revenge of the Sith, it's just in a quiet forest, 
and they're just one on one and they're chopping down trees. Oh like, yeah. I love that fight. Yeah. Yeah. The lightsaber though. What's your thoughts? On what? On the on hell? Kylo Ren's lightsaber. Do you like it or do you do not care or do you I hate thought it? it was I thought it was silly at first, but I, I do appreciate it. Okay. I, I love it. I love that it's like chaotic as his um his, as his pull to yeah. the light in the dark. Okay. Okay. I think it's a great representation. I of think I'm character. indifferent about it. Um, I have my thoughts on Last Jedi when they really use a bunch. Like, it's almost like nunchucks and right and all the other yeah. things. They went. I'm like lightsabers are cool. You you are trying to reinvent the wheel now. Like just go. Yeah, well, they brought in the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> yeah. Even in um, Rogue One, they had like a. Or no, no, no. It was Solo. He had like blades oh, yeah. with like the yeah. lightsaber. lightsaber yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say like in every Star Wars trilogy, it's like they have to introduce a new kind of lightsaber. Because with the, like, with the prequels, lightsabers they are just cool. The prequels, they have the double one, one double-sided. Yeah. More toys. <laughs> I like more toys, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Well, even in the, in the Rise of Skywalker, too, the, the trailer, they have that one that folds down. <laughs> the, yeah. the stapler? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like the stapler, you open it up, you're stapling some shit on the wall. She's like, like I got to put up this poster. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, here we go, another one. Yeah, they... <laughs> but no, but that fight was sick um, when Kylo and Finn are fighting and there's no music happening. Oh, And yeah. it's just this yeah. brutal fight where he puts like the... What is it called? The hilt. The hilt into oh, yeah. like Finn's shoulder. It's cool to yeah. see him actually use yeah, it so, so it wasn't it, just there for it's aesthetics. It's a functional purpose. It actually, yeah. Yeah, actually so uses it to his Yeah, the design's not as stupid as some people thought. And then um, just the way he like takes out Finn. Like, yeah. holy shit. Right, like, he slices him in the back. Duh, the way yeah. he like fell to the ground, that shit was crazy. Even visually seeing the, the blades were against, like kind of close to Finn's face with the light and the snow and everything. It just looked amazing. Visually it was great. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And then, you know, Ray picking up the lightsaber. I thought that was, that was a great scene. With the scene. force, right? With the yeah. force. Right. Yeah. This woman has never held a lightsaber in her life, yeah, right? Yeah, that was that was the first time in the whole movie. Oh, other than like maybe touching it, but that was the first time she really in the yeah, whole movie. like used it. Right? Yeah. Do you I like this? It. Do you like that they waited that long to show? Yeah, because yeah. they made it dramatic. I liked it. Yeah, because yeah. they they didn't like do it right off the bat. I liked that they waited until the very end till we see something like that personally. Yeah, I'm glad that they didn't spoil any of that because all the marketing material was Finn has the lightsaber, Finn has the lightsaber, and then they switch it on you at the last minute and then Ray has the lightsaber. As far as talking about how she's able to use a lightsaber and take out Kylo Ren pretty much, I do like the fact that they did show that she's good at hand-to-hand combat mm-hmm. at least once. So that way, yeah, if someone that's never had any force training and has never used a lightsaber can actually wield it. Right. <laughs> well, and I think it, sometimes it's just in you, right? Like yeah. the force is just in you. Yeah. And clearly like it's very strong with her despite the fact that she hasn't had any training. Uh, so it really like sets up the other two movies to say like she probably isn't as slow of a learner as like a Luke Skywalker or an Anakin. And they explore that a lot more in the next movie too. Yeah, yeah. The Last Jedi, they show her a lot training more and like with her with like I guess like a bow staff kind of thing. Yeah, and just having like a a deeper connection to the Force than yeah. I think uh, we see in Anakin and Luke. And see what was great again, just going back to the fighting is just the simplicity of it. I was talking about this earlier, but with Star Wars. You do want to see cool things, but it really has to be tempered back or else it doesn't feel like Star Wars. If it's like a crazy Matrix ninja fight scene, you know, with the lightsabers, then it just feels too over the top. It just feels too ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So this was the right level of sort of subtlety. Can I bring up one thing, though? One fight scene I did have issue with was when Finn was fighting that stormtrooper that had like a uh, baton. I liked like, it, dude. I, I thought it was cool. I felt it was like, okay, now they have these like, they're not lightsabers, but they well, they, they, they can go toe-to-toe with a lightsaber kind Wasn't of baton weapon. Wasn't it those electric rods that... Yeah, they missed everything in sight, but now you have this and you're just dominating <laughs> yeah. a fight. No, remember, they're... Uh, Grievous's guards? They yeah, had those the, electric rods like that? Those little cattle prods? The Magna Guards. Yeah. Yeah, they had, they had those too. Um, okay, 
We talk about Phasma. That should have been Phasma. Yeah, yeah. Phasma should have been there, kicked Finn's ass, yeah. and then that should have been it. Yeah. And we'll talk about Phasma in the next movie, but throwing her in the trash compactor, that whole scene was stupid as fuck. Just fan service for, I the, fucking for like hated. A, a New Hope. There's a lot I of- didn't think it was funny at all the way Finn was all in her face, and they're just like, oh, we could throw in a trash compactor. Because it undermined this potentially dope villain. Yes. Yeah. If yeah. you make her Hux... She doesn't have to deal with that shit. They could they could have right. just snuck in without her it being there. Or they could have done it to a random stormtrooper. Exactly. They or just didn't like have maybe to somebody be Finn. Yeah. You could have just hinted that him and Finn had a past or something like that. Yeah. Anything. Okay, so you know, they blow up Starkiller Base. Starkiller Base blows up a system of planets, and I just want to point this out to you guys. The planet that they blew up was not Coruscant. Uh, it was Hosnian Prime. That is the name of the planet. And I guess according to like the new expanded universe shit, the Senate moves from planet to planet, and that just happened to be the planet they were on at the time. I don't feel any weight or connection to any of that because none of our characters are from there, i.e. Princess Leia. So I, I don't care. I, I almost feel like you could have done this movie without blowing up a planet. Because with the New Order stomping around, it's like, what is the Senate even doing? One side note, I did like that they used Starkiller because Luke Skywalker was supposed to be Luke Starkiller originally. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh good callback. Yeah. Good callback. Yeah. Yeah. They just got to build something that'll blow up a star. But, um, I don't think you needed to fire that weapon at all. And then one of the biggest trashes that I'll talk about in 8 is that we don't really get an explanation of what the state of the galaxy is because in the opening crawl we say the Republic is back, right? But Leia leads the resistance. What are you resisting? You're a part of the military of the major dominant force in the galaxy. Like, what are you resisting? There's nothing to resist. You are the dominant political party. But we didn't see any Republic military force. Yeah, and I think people shit on the prequels for this, but even even episode four did this. They explained the political state of the galaxy to some degree. Right. This movie overlooks that entirely. So, like, this movie doesn't do a good job, you know, on its own telling us what the last 30 years were like it's like what the political landscape yeah. is and what who's in power from, and like, in yeah. some detail you got to explain some of that and it could have been in the next movie we obviously know it wasn't at all which mm. is a huge problem but i think this movie <laughs> overlooked that shit and it's not a good thing yeah because from this movie you're just supposed to assume that we're right back where we started in episode four like it's the same atmosphere that's what it like infers is that even though the, the word yeah. resistance is right. a synonym for rebel right. rebellion <laughs> right like the last 30 years didn't happen like the last victory over the yeah republic didn't happen yeah it's such a slap in the face because like we've made so much progress over four five and six you know after coming off of what happened in three to revert us back to what has happened in right. four it's like, right it's like it just didn't happen you couldn't yeah. you couldn't think of anything better like you couldn't think of a better way to reintroduce some sort of conflict and i feel like this movie just throws things out there for the sake of attracting fans and tj you talked about this in the prequel podcast but a lot of this is fan reaction at the expense of the story and yeah. it's not good you could have come up with a better political climate there are a lot of things in this movie that work like we love the characters number one most of the characters we love we don't have an issue with that the visuals look great. Special effects, you know, duh. Every movie looks fucking great nowadays, except Gemini Man. And then, <laughs> oh no! But y'all couldn't have done better. Spend a little more time. I mean, that's what Disney does, though. Which, that, which, that's well, what they do. See, which is crazy because I've read the Star Wars books, the new ones that have come out. I've read a lot of the comics that have come out since Disney took over. That the same story group works on for some of the movies. And they're excellent. They involve a lot of the political shit, and it is intriguing. The political drama, the the character-driven drama is interesting. 
I understand that the movies are the money making machine and they gotta attract the little kids and shit. Only nerds like me are gonna read the comics. <laughs> but why couldn't some of that carry over to the movies? Yeah. See, as long as they're doing reverse parallels, what would have been cool is if the Empire had, or not the Empire, the Republic had been established to Empire size and the First Order was a sort of rebellion size. That's, that's, that, that's that exactly what That would have been a dope been where they, they are like now the dying threat, oh, but there's right. a looming oh, threat. Almost like the resistance are these people who are aware of the First Order's presence and the Republic's trying to be like, nah, or like dismiss no, and it. And that's like, exactly right. what it is. That would have been sick. And that was explained. That would have been a dope parallel. That was explained in a novel. That should have been in the movie. But that isn't what's represented on screen. Yeah. Right? yeah. You would never know it if you didn't go on Wikipedia. Right. <laughs> like, show, show me some Republic Star Destroyer size ships. Like, you know what I mean? Like, just show that they're in power right now, that they've taken control again. Or instead of a Rogue One or a solo movie, like, give us a bridge between six and seven. Like, that give might, us that a, might be coming, though. You never because know. Because was no, anybody asking right. for a solo movie? Not that I had a problem with it. I did enjoy it, but was anybody really asking for that? No. For Han Solo's backstory and movie? we talked about this, and I think you... You and TJ brought it up, Jay. That type of storytelling, the kind of uh, offshoot, you know, the way Marvel does it, that didn't exist back then. You know, splitting movies into two parts, having auxiliary films to explain things away the way Marvel does it. Maybe one of your first two solo films should have been exposition for things that don't get explained in four. Give us like a like a gritty little Rogue One type movie where you show like a resistance squadron or a first order squadron doing their thing to kind of make us say like, oh, that's what happened. And because it's a movie, more people will see it in the mainstream and they don't have to rely on books and comics and video games to explain this shit to them. So like when they had episode two and three, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, those guys that created, hey, you're talking about these Clone Wars. You never actually show them. We want to actually show them through a cartoon way. Is that what you're kind of talking about? Because when I watched that, I was like, oh, my God, it all makes sense. Like, you you missed this whole war going mm-hmm. on, and they really show where Grievous comes from and all that stuff. And I, I think, is that what you guys are asking them I, to do? I would say, I mean, they have an animated series for that. I've never watched it. It's called Star Wars Resistance. But I think it would have been better as a movie. Yeah. Because more mainstream people would see it. That's, but that's always been the sort of thing with the Star Wars universe is that it's so big that even before these Disney era, you've had to go to the side, you know, the books, the comics, by Dark Horse, whatever, to find more in-depth descriptions or uh, reasoning behind certain things. Yeah. You know, last thing I want to talk about before we kind of close this movie off and go into some shit about it. Uh, Luke. Thoughts. He wasn't even really. Or he doesn't really talk. He doesn't talk. talk. He's, oh, just his He doesn't end, look right? good. Okay, but his hair though. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. He Luke. looks like he hit the age branch tree all the way down. Like he did not age well at all, yeah, dude. He, but the hair. You guys cool with the hair? Better, no, better than the just for men. No, no Anakin. No Tom Cruise. No. no. He just. He looks like he's time has really hit him in the face. Yeah, yeah. he's gone but through think, it. That's supposed to, I think, in that movie. Like he's he's failed. He tried to rebuild the Jedi Order and he failed, and he looks it. <laughs> and as far as he's concerned, he has been the downfall of the Jedi Order. Right. Which would take a toll on somebody. Yeah, I do like that he didn't say anything and just left on a kind of cliffhanger. So you're like, okay, now I want to go see. Yeah, that, they, that was the hook. Yeah. They set you up on a T for the next movie, which we'll get into. Yeah, Corinne we'll keeps talking about it, and, but. I, and I love it though. Just like we're talking about Finn with Poe's jacket, it's like you've got Ray. She's got. The Millennium Falcon, Chewie's with her. She's got Han's blaster. She's got Luke's lightsaber. She's got her staff. It's just dope. It's just a dope she's little, carrying on the past, right? Her, yeah. Right. Like that ending is. It's like huge hook. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It's well done. Very. 
Um, one quick thing, and I and I do love Luke's appearance in this, and I love that he just looks, and I think the acting is great for all .5 seconds of it. Um, but JJ did say he made a mistake when Leia and Chewie come out of the Falcon. Uh, Ray hugs Leia. She don't know who the fuck Leia is. Yeah. Why is she hugging her? She should be with Finn going yeah. to the emergency mm-hmm. bay. Chewie should have been the one to hug Leia because that's Han's best friend. Stupid JJ. Yeah. So he he even came out and bad robot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like J- to zero now. <laughs> Come on, you gotta give me credit for that one, right? Yeah. That was amazing. That was pretty good. I love that one. But uh, JJ even came out and said he should have only had uh, Ben Solo take off his helmet once. And he did say that he should have had Chewy hug Leia at the end. He did come out and admit that. He so J.J. Abrams should hire us to be like his consultant is what you're saying. Right? Uh, yo, hey, Kathleen Kennedy, if you're listening. Yeah, $20 ticket. Yeah, please hire us. Um, but let's let's talk about J.J. before we go on to the next mm-hmm. movie. Um, so J.J., he's worked on films like uh, Super 8, Cloverfield, Star Trek. Uh, Star Trek. The <laughs> Mission Star- Impossible Star 3. Trek. Mission Impossible yeah. Come 3. on, man. That was a good one. Get that Tom Cruise in there. there and he's uh, the showrunner on Lost. There Lost. you go. Yeah. yeah. So J.J. was actually recommended for the job by Steven Spielberg. Uh, apparently, Kathleen Kennedy approached Steven Spielberg, and Spielberg said that he felt like J.J. was the only one for the job. Other directors that were considered for this movie, episode seven, were David Fincher. He did Seven, Fight Club, Social Network. Uh, Brad Bird, who did Incredibles and Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, or Mission Impossible 4. Uh, <laughs> ben Affleck was also considered, you know, he did Argo in the Town. Uh, Guillermo del Toro, uh, Shape of Water, Blade 2, Pacific Rim, he was also considered. J.J. Um, Abrams uh, almost turned down uh, the director role, partly because of, you know, his commitment to Star Trek, yeah. the new reboots. Uh, he'd already done Star Trek Into Darkness at this time, back in 2013, and he didn't want to be known as the guy that does sequels, in quotes. He didn't want to be that kind of guy that does reboots and shit. I'm um, going to say the star guy. Yeah, yeah the star, the star space, guy. Space, yeah, two competing space property, like Space yeah. Abrams, Explorer, like, and that are just the opposite of each oh, other. Oh, yeah, the very opposite. But I, I was never a Star Trek fan. I was always on the Star Star Wars side, watching what he did for Star Trek, I was like, oh, and then when he signed up for Star Wars, I was super excited. Yes, I was yeah, like, yes, yeah. look, what he got me interested in Star Trek. I can't wait to see what he does with Star Wars. As far as like being a visionary and yeah. imagining like something that's old and been around and making it current and fresh, he did a really good job of that. Part of that too, uh, which is funny. Um, so I guess uh, Lucasfilm and Disney had to make a deal with Paramount in order for him to get off of Star Trek Three, which is Star Trek Beyond. I think that came out in uh, 2015. I could be wrong. Yeah. 2016, the year after Force Awakens came yeah. out. But um, part of that deal was since they're kind of stealing their director away, Star Trek Beyond trailers had to be attached to every showing of the Force Awakens. So anytime you saw Force Awakens, you saw a trailer for Star Trek Beyond. Oh wow! That was okay. part of that deal. JJ. You know, he wasn't sure about taking the role, but uh, his wife convinced him, saying that he'd, you know, regret it if he let the opportunity pass, which is going to be a thing we're going to see with all this Disney shit. You know, the wives stepping in and being like, hey, it's Star Wars. Don't be an idiot. Um, So they came in and say that. And, you know, after he got hired, it took about nine months of secret screen tests and auditions to finally cast everybody. So for nine months, just under the radar, they were doing casting. So um, let's talk about... uh, you know, the fan response, we definitely got to address that. Uh, you know, we did the same thing in the Marvel podcast. But um, while a lot of people did like this movie, uh, some people have come forward saying that this movie uh, is really just a copy of New Hope. You know, we kind of all agree yeah, at this table. So, yeah. um, on that criticism, J.J. Abrams welcomes and understands the criticism. But he does say, quote, 
I can understand that somebody might say, oh, it's a complete ripoff. You know, we inherited Star Wars. The story of history repeating itself was, I believe, an obvious and intentional thing. And the structure of meeting a character who comes from a nowhere desert and discovers that she has a power within her, where the bad guys have a weapon that is destructive but ends up being destroyed, those simple tenets are by far the least important aspects of this movie. And they provide bones that are well proven long before they were used in Star Wars. I'll agree with that to a degree, but I think that third act is nearly beat for beat, mm-hmm. which is kind of, you could have done a little different, but then we got to say the same thing about Phantom Menace, which yeah. is kind of almost yeah. the same thing. Mm-hmm. I will just say, like, I feel like a lot of these movies do repeat themselves, like, intentionally, like, everyone gets a hand cut off. Mm-hmm. Everyone falls down a shaft of some sort. There's always the same. <laughs> okay, eight thirteen. No, I just no. Like, no, I didn't. That's what you notice. I notice other things that are similar. No, like, I didn't realize like that because yeah, like, Luke falls, falls down, down and then Han Solo falls. They down. throw the center or the emperor down. Like, uh, like yeah, everyone Darth falls down, 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 down. Like yeah. some sort of shot. Anyways, I, like I never thought of that till right. It's now. like you know, it does kind of repeat itself in not just in each trilogy set but also like in each movie yeah so i don't feel like it's completely out of place here yeah and george lucas like we said has come out and said like these stories rhyme you know just the funny thing is it's just like i feel like people give this movie a lot more heat despite that being george lucas's storytelling style however i don't see this as a style of storytelling i feel like this is just like we need to do it for the fans i feel like phantom menace and a new hope are different enough to where they don't feel like there's a trench run and there's another Death Star mm. as opposed to there's pod races and there's a lightsaber fight at the end and there's Gungans. Like yeah. it's it's different enough. Mm-hmm. But I but I do I do see where you're coming from, TJ, and I do agree with you. You know, unfortunately, in addition to pretty normal criticism that the movies kind of copies A New Hope, which is fine, um, there's a lot of negative uh, sexist and racist backlash relating to this movie, even before it was released, with a lot of it coming from the casting of uh, John Boyega and Daisy Ridley in the lead roles, uh, citing it as uh, anti-white propaganda. Um, Many people have cited Ray as being a Mary Sue character who is inexplicably good at everything and terrible at nothing for no reason. This spawned the entire uh, hashtag boycott Star Wars 7 movement on Twitter, um, with some people commenting the following, uh, courtesy of the Daily Beast, um, boycott Star Wars 7 because it will be ghetto garbage, boycott Star Wars 7 because I'm sick of muds being casted in white parts, boycott Star Wars 7, obvious liberal pandering by casting the first lady as Han Solo's co-pilot, boycott Star Wars 7 because you can't market to 13% of the US population and ignore your primary demographic. Boycott Star Wars 7 because it's directed by a Jew, uh, yet moralized, oh. meant to demoralize and destroy whites. So there was a significant backlash from a racial and gender perspective. And, you know, we definitely saw that with Captain Marvel, Black Panther, just basically any movie that's come out in the last like half decade mm-hmm. has kind of experienced this, you know, which is kind of unfortunate, like not willing to give, you know, a movie a chance based on the look of a character. You know, it's kind of like I said last time, just like, look, I don't care if the character is white, black, whatever. If their identity isn't directly tied to a narrative purpose, then they could be whoever the fuck they want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care. I think more opportunities, fortunately, have opened up for people of all you know demographics to kind of get in and tell their stories and not just be background characters anymore. 
In addition to that, we talked about Ray having the lightsaber and that not being spoiled in the movie. Um, there was also a backlash with the unavailability of Ray figures surrounding the movie's release, spawning the Where's Ray movement. Um, you couldn't really find Ray figures anywhere in Hasbro's Star Wars character box sets. Ray was not included as a figure. So it had every character except Ray. No Phasma, no Ray. It was just all the male characters. And she was even like missing from the Monopoly set. So I think Hasbro did come out and say they didn't add Ray to a lot of things because they didn't want to spoil the fact that she would be the one having the lightsaber. Um, you know, people uh, just then don't make her with the lightsaber. Yeah, yeah. That. she had her staff the whole time. Yeah, she had a staff. Like just put her in, you know, and then when Finn comes with the lightsaber, give her the lightsaber when you're playing with the toy. I don't I don't yeah, know. Does any kid strictly adhere to what the toy came with when they're playing. Yeah. Nah, bro, I gave Batman like, my oh, lightsaber when I was a My toy doesn't have a lightsaber. That's not a Ray doll. Yeah, I can I can understand where they're coming from from a marketing perspective. Like, you don't want to spoil the movie, but it's just... Sure, but then just That's an excuse. Don't, but then just yeah. don't. Yeah, like, that's a shitty excuse. Literally, like, toys have been coming out before the movies come out since the original Star Wars. Yeah, so it's just... Just, just like, don't... Yeah, it's a bullshit excuse. What's interesting to me is that it's like two sides of the coin that are, like, upset about the opposite things, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people are upset that Ray's there and there's a female and there's a lot of people of color, but and then other people are upset that they're not represented enough. It's very interesting to me. And it's kind of surprising though, because I figured that the Star Wars kind of broke ground. They had, you know, Leia's a you know a strong female protagonist. Yeah, that's they, what they, I don't they, understand. Yeah. They had people of color, they had a uh, Lando Calrissian, which is yeah. you know, yeah, and so that's what I don't really get. Like right off the bat, Leia's always been a badass. Yeah, <laughs> and so I, f I figured like the backlash that you're talking about, Kerwin, is so blatant. When I thought Star Wars was the one that kind of broke ground with breaking, you know, conventions and traditions of people's roles, and mm -hmm. regardless of sex or gender and and, and stereotypes. Yeah. But this has just to be like groups trying to get attention off the back of something big. Well, so the, the problem right now too is that obviously, as we know, a lot of what Kerwin, a lot of what you're reading is from social media, which allows people to Everyone do whatever they want. Yeah. yeah, and so it's it's different now because these voices seem louder than I think what the general public. Mm -hmm feels and thinks. So we read about these things only because we're inundated with this kind of uh, rhetoric over and over on whatever site or whatever you're on. But I don't think it represents the true feelings of like the general population. It's just a hugely vocal, small group of people. Small group of people that, that are very have, loud. Yeah, that have their fucking feelings hurt for like the dumbest fucking reasons. You know, we talk about this all the time that social media has kind of given them the ability for millions of people to kind of be influenced by that or be exposed to that kind of like bigotry and shit. Like you said, uh, Justin, last time, it's just like, yeah, you can shout that shit from the car, right. but would you say it when you hop out the vehicle? Right, like, I would say it face to face. Yeah, you wouldn't say it face to face. I'm like, that is, that was blatant. Uh, I'm not trying to make light of this, but I feel like we kind of learned about this and Jay and Silent Bob strike back yeah. with moviepoopshoot.com. Mm -hmm. um, that's what the internet's about. Yeah. Talking shit about movies and sharing porn with one another. Yep. Like, that's what the internet's for. And that's <laughs> well, I, don't, I don't share my porn. <laughs> <laughs> I think the other the other thing that's really unfortunate is that we, we give credit and credence to these large voices but small number of people because we read reports, we, we write reports, we read articles about this small subsection of uh, individuals that gives it more visibility to the mainstream who isn't probably feeling this way. But I will I will say one thing though, it is a double-edged sword because one, you're giving these people more exposure, but I think it is important to bring to light the things that people experience every day. 
Like there's a lot of shit that I experience every day that some people don't. And I think it is important to kind of showcase and expose these people. That it still exists. That these, there are, there are whole groups, you know, there are, there are, get out of the bubble. Yeah. There are national and international organization, organizations dedicated to this kind of thought. You know what I'm saying? Those are some things that people may or may not be exposed to on a daily basis. You know, the subtleties of discrimination need to be shown. Unfortunately, it's free ad space for these motherfuckers. But like that needs to be shown to show people that, hey, you know, there are certain groups of people that have to deal with this kind of shit just for simply existing. And that's the unfortunate part. It's not like, you know, you turn in a bad performance and people are talking about your performance. Like people, regardless of whether it's good or not, people are mad at you because you're a woman. People are mad at you because you're black or Latino or Asian or gay or, you know, whatever. Like people are mad at you simply for existing. You know, while I agree that it's unfortunate that these people are given more air time i think it's important to kind of expose this way of thinking to showcase that these are the type of difficulties that people have to face on a daily basis either in an overt or subtle form sure whether that's through direct contact or the institutions that are put in place to marginalize them even further that's just a price we pay with social media like you give every single person a voice and you know everyone says and a voice with no consequence and and many times and yeah. they'll say whatever they want good yeah. bad I mean, indifferent, whatever it is, but everyone has a voice and that's, it sucks, but that's the price you pay with social right. media. No, I think, I think you made a good point, Karan, because I never thought about that. Because my immediate reaction is just to like, just write this off like, oh, these people are crazy. Like, it just write it off like it's just bullshit. But no, you are right. There is a responsibility to be aware that there are other people that this is still very much out there. Like, yes, we've come to a place where it's socially frowned upon and we've gotten further than we have in the last 50 years, but it still very much exists. It's still very much real. I think the case with Wonder Woman, uh, not Wonder Woman, I think Captain Marvel, Rotten Tomatoes changed the way that they like allowed people to vote for things just because I, I think it's, they there was like such trolling happening. I think they, they didn't allow them to vote until the movie was, re- was released. released. Yeah. So that was like a big thing. And people were going there already damaging the movie before it even came out. Right. And saying like it was, you know, shit or whatever. Bad. Yeah. It does Audience drive a lot. I, I look at Rotten Tomatoes before I go see a movie most yeah. of the time. Yeah. yeah. Everybody reviews nowadays. Yeah. You're less inclined to buy a ticket the lower that audience score is. Right. Yeah. So you could definitely, you know, do some damage that way. But uh, you guys ready to move on? I gotta go to the bathroom. Yeah. I guess you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our next movie uh, in the Disney era is Rogue One, a Star Wars story, released December 16th, 2016, and directed by Gareth Edwards. It stars Felicity Jones, Diego Luna, Ben Mendelsohn, Donnie Yen, Mads Mikkelsen, Alan Tudyk, Riz Ahmed, Jang Wen, and Forrest Whitaker. Uh, 84% of the critics on Rotten Tomatoes liked it, giving it an average score of 7.47 out of 10. 86% of the audience liked it, giving it an average score of 4.14 out of 5. Uh, its budget was $200 million. Uh, its opening weekend, it made a $115 million. Its total domestic gross was $532 million, and its worldwide gross was $1 billion. How do y'all feel about Rogue One? It's great. Great movie. Yeah. I really Solid. like this movie. Yeah. All right, we're done. <laughs> the thing, I think I might like it for different reasons than you guys do. I like this movie because I didn't feel like I needed to know a whole lot of like everything else to know. Like I knew obviously from the original trilogy what happened. We had to blow up the Death Star. But I felt like I could come into this movie like new and not have to worry about what happened or where we had been or any of that kind of stuff 
prior to it. It's it's, its own self-contained story that you don't have to have that much of a knowledge of, of the previous films. All yeah, you yeah. really have to know is that like the Death Star has a flaw and yeah. they blow it up. Yeah, yeah you could. I, and that Family Guy pointed it out. And, yeah, and that's why they made this whole movie. Which is how I, <laughs> how, I, how I knew about it. Yeah, you could literally watch like you could only be exposed to Episode Four and appreciate all the shit in this movie. And you know, to your point, Bling, I don't even think you really have to watch Episode Four to appreciate this movie. Right. I think it can exist within the larger uh, kind of Star Wars saga, but it has its own self-contained, driven plot where and it explains it well enough throughout the film so that you can fill in the blanks if you don't know. Yeah, and it doesn't rely on those other characters. You have tertiary characters from like the prequels or from the original trilogy that are there, but they don't chew up the scenery. Like they don't necessarily make much of an impact on the overall plot. I also enjoy that it like fills in gaps from the original movie where I know a lot of people, Family Guy definitely pointed it out, but of just saying like, how could there be such a huge flaw and like glaring this, this, flaw in yeah, like <laughs> something so huge and like this state of the art weapon? And how did you guys feel about about that explanation? I I, liked I thought it, it was I, I thought it was amazing. Simple, yeah. It, it really it. makes this movie so relevant in the Star Wars universe, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, it's simple. Yeah. It gives it heart. Oh yeah. yeah. I didn't get a chance to, to rewatch this. I know you guys kind of rewatched some of these movies. I didn't get a chance to before we recorded this. But I think um, for me, um, I like the opportunity of kind of bridging the gap between the prequels and the sequels. Like, I like the prequels. I have a huge amount of problems with them. You know, you guys have obviously listened to the prequel episode by now if you're listening to this. You know, I grew up with those, even though I like the original trilogy first. And I feel like the prequels don't get as much. Uh, kind of respect, at least mainstream-wise. And I do like the fact that this makes attempts to kind of bridge that gap. I feel like the prequels are given more relevance the more you integrate them into these newer films. So you have the casting of Mon Mothma, same actress that played her in episode three, even though most of her scenes were cut. Um, You have... Uh, God damn it. Jimmy Smith. You have Jimmy Smith in this movie. Yeah, Jimmy Smith playing the same character uh, in this movie. So I thought that was that was a nice callback. Okay, so I said this in in uh, Force Awakens, right? You know, with Finn's character, what an opportunity to see what life could be like on, you know, the dark side or the antagonistic side. I like that most of this movie, or at least half of it, is seen from inside the Empire. This is the first movie that doesn't wholly involve Darth Vader in which you get to see the power structure within the ranks of the Imperial Army. I like the fact that you have Director Krennic butting heads with uh, Grand Moff Tarkin. I love the fact that he has to pretty much report to Darth Vader, you know, as a superior. There's no there's no force shit or destiny shit involved. It's literally just military. Yeah. And that's one yeah. of the things I do appreciate about I this love movie. Krennic's design too, his simple white uniform. Oh yeah, I, it's it's very Especially different. one of the trailer shots where he's just standing in that room mm-hmm. and it's kind of panning back a little slowly that dark room and he's just in his white like that was gorgeous. Yeah, and then uh, you kind of notice the uh the the way they flip it i know you brought this up uh previously in force awakens but the way they flip the imagery where darth vader walks in with his white stormtroopers krennic has his white cape his white uniform and he's got the black death troopers so i thought that was a very very cool visual going into this movie this has some like some dark stuff too especially from the beginning with the black stormtrooper outfit kind of how we saw in force awakens too with the flickering lights and all that kind of like that darkness like you kind of get that feeling in this too which i kind of liked I, I do like all the action in this, too. I feel like out of all the Star Wars movies, this one probably has the most action within like the spaceships and stuff like that. I think there's a ton of it. But it took me my second time to yeah. really appreciate this movie. Mm-hmm. I think the first time I was like, you know, what the fuck is this? Like, <laughs> <laughs> What happened during your first time watching this? 
I, I forget what happened. Okay, so really? Mugga, was I fucked up? Well, we were all fucked up. Me, you, and Kerwin. All right, Mugga, tell us, tell us what happened with this we, movie. I actually ditched out on my Christmas work party for this movie because I was like, I anticipated this. And we all went. And Jason, we were, this is now at the turn where they're starting to sell alcohol at movie theaters and we were getting hammered. And all of a sudden, the lights went out. Remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah. you're right. Yeah. So the lights went out. And we're like, what well, is this part of the movie? What the hell happened? And they came in, sorry, we're having technical difficulties. We'll help you guys out. We ended up watching the full movie. But what's relevant about this is that they give us vouchers. To where us three then oh, went Jesus to go watch, Christ. yeah, Triple X. What's that movie called? <laughs> the Return of Xander Cage, where, where he motorcycle rides a wave. I know, that was great. Yeah. No, no, no. He he snowboards <laughs> down a uh, tropical forest. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, our our first time watching this, we actually the the project or something happened. I think it was the whole movie theater. So, yeah. like, I think I, now you say that I remember like the sound would be out. We would see picture, yeah, and then sometimes like the picture would go out. We'd hear sound, like it was just all fucked up, yeah. and then the whole theater just went black. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah because I'd seen this movie the night before, so you guys are asking me, like, yo, is this part of the movie? Because <laughs> it's, it's when they're on Jeddah talking yeah. about Forrest Whitaker, yeah. and, like, the screen goes black, and you guys are like, what's happening? And I was like, that does not happen in this movie. <laughs> what the fuck? But then we got free, like, three free vouchers for movies. And we, we wasted it on Xander Cage. <laughs> I, think I tried to advise you guys against it, and you're like, when are we ever going to pay for this? I go, I know we're never going to pay That's for Kerwin's it. That's But I was like, Kerwin's I was like, right. I don't want to even use a voucher for this fucking movie. All right, so when we do our triple X uh, <laughs> retrospective, you guys will hear about uh, that story in detail and experience. But uh, yeah, our, our Rogue One experience was pretty pretty interesting. Yeah, you know, kind of going back to kind of this darker, grittier undertone we were talking about, one of the things I appreciated most about this film from the moment it was announced was that it was going to be a war film. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, they, said, they wanted to say something in the vein of Saving Private Ryan. Like yeah. Something like that they wanted to do. To your point, Jason, I felt like uh, this really had a boots on the ground type feel. Oh, yeah. uh, that fight where they're in that marketplace or whatever community center at uh, on Jeddah, where the tank rolls out and like it's K two S O Jin and everybody fighting. You have Donnie Yen's character, you have um, Baze Malbus fighting. Donnie Yen's character, I think, is a Chirrut, and I think that's his character's name. Mm-hmm. So you have that whole kind of like uh, really guerrilla style fight. Um, it reminded me of a lot of, um, you know how you see a lot of post 9-11 military films? It reminded me a lot of that stuff. And I feel like this movie definitely has um, that post 9-11 Jason Bourne, Hurt Locker, Fury type vibe. Yeah. That Zero Dark Thirty vibe to it. Mm-hmm. And I think it definitely has a lot of that. And, and that's something I really appreciate because um, this movie aims to depict the rebels not just as a heroic fighting force, but the rebels, you know, Honestly, we could just say, like, the rebels are terrorists to a degree. Yeah. Like, they're fighting against the main kind of institution of power, which is the Empire, and they kind of have to resort to these kind of tactics, you know, as freedom fighters. They're guerrilla fighters, and that's something that, like, we've never seen or explored in Star Wars. Usually things are black and white, but with the introduction of these characters, you have Saw Gerrera, who is too extreme for the rebels, so he's seen as like a as a liability, which is why they won't associate with him, which is why they bring Jin in in the first place. You have uh, Diego Luna's character, Cassian Andor, which is like the most Star Wars name. Yeah. <laughs> um, he used to be 
a member of the Confederacy. I don't know if it's explicitly stated in this movie, but I think it's uh, said in some expanded universe material that during the Clone Wars, he was a member of the Confederacy of Independent Systems. Uh, you kind of see the gray area in which the rebels operate. You have senators there. You have Mon Mothma. The Senate is still around at this time. So not only is she a senator, but she's also leading this group of mercenaries and rebels to attack the Empire. You have Bail Organa, who's like the king of Alderaan and also represents that planet in the Senate leading the rebels. So I really like bridging of the gap of the prequels, as well as giving us the story that isn't just black and white hero versus villain that is taking a place literally like weeks before a new hope happens and i love how well this sinks into a new hope like perfectly you can literally watch you're talking about the actual ending yeah Yeah. i mean you know it's coming but the way they did it i just feel like they hit every part that they needed to hit because when you leave it you just feel satisfied like okay good we're good yeah like like, that's what i mean like it was perfect it was very much its own movie except these little key parts were tied in and that was enough that was perfect How, how are you guys feeling about grandma tarkin I thought they did a good job. I did a good job, but then, I mean, even now, it's gotten better. Yeah. That's why it's, when we did our Gemini Man review, like, how how did we take a step back (laughs) in coming out this year? But for the time when it came out, it it was actually pretty groundbreaking. Wasn't Leia also all CGI? Yes. And I thought that was pretty pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I was watching this, and uh, my sister was watching it with me, and she was like, how did they do that? I was like, that's, like, not a real person. That's completely fake. She's like, what? Because it's, like, pretty well done. Yeah. Yeah. I, saw, I saw a thing on how they did Tarkin. They had a rubber mask from a movie he did in the past. Like, oh, wow. so they used that, you know, put that on a character of CGI map. Wait, so there's a guy in a rubber mask just walking? No, no, no. There is, yeah, there is a guy. Before. Yeah, so the guy's name is uh, Guy Henry. Okay. So he's the actor. But um, he's wearing like a CGI head rig. He's doing the exact same thing that we talked about in Gemini Man, where he has facial capture and he's wearing the rig on his head that they can use to map his uh, facial expressions right. to the to the CGI that's going to be added later on. But, wow. Tar- but Tarkin, the actor, they had a mask, like a mold of a mask that he did on a, on a different movie. So they used that as part of the mapping of his face for the oh, CGI wow. on this. How do um, they get it wrong? So wrong. What? Gemini man. <laughs> I, just, I, I just look at them, I'm like they did a great job here but just, honestly it's probably just money someone fell asleep or Will Smith is in it I don't know, I don't know. Gemini oh. man had a had a big ass budget too well and then you look at the Irishman too like fucking fantastic looks great. job yeah looks like great. amazing and mm-hmm. it's like how the um, Marvel movies like the Marvel movies, Marvel movies yes do a really great they job. look great yeah. Samuel L. Jackson and Captain Marvel. Thank you. Yeah. No, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, wait, yeah. Jason, real quick. Linda Hamilton, Terminator Dark Fate. Did that not look just like her from Terminator 2? Holy I, I shit. I thought that did, and then Edward Furlong, too. Look, like, how the fuck did they even do I was like, okay, was this a deleted scene that i never seen before? What the fuck is this? And then, like, when Arnold comes up, it mm-hmm. looks like old Arnold, too. Like, all of it was seamless. It was flawless. Yeah. I don't know how the fuck they did this. I'll tell you... I stand by my review of Gemini Man. <laughs> my, may, maybe give it a zero. I don't know. Yeah, it's good shit. But um, getting back to <laughs> getting back to the so movie uh, that we are talking about. Um, yeah, so you know we got Grandma Tarkin, who is uh, Peter Cushing. He's brought back to life through the use of CGI, and then we had a uh, young Princess Leia, um, who was also added by building like a CGI face over the actress. Her name is uh, Ingvild Dela. She's actually in Avengers: Age of Ultron. I forget which scene she's in, but you know that internet hub scene. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the stupidest scene in all of the MCU. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think she's in that scene. So okay. that's the only movie I could really find that she's been been in. But yeah, there was an actual uh, physical actor there, and then they put the face over. I have issues with it. I think some scenes 
he looks incredibly real and convincing. He looks You're one, about who? Tarkin. Tarkin, yeah. yeah. I thought Leia Pretty looked... Sure, yeah. All right, get this out of the way. Leia looked terrible. I'm just getting that. Really? Out. I thought she looked terrible. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Uh, Grand Moff Tarkin, okay. I feel yeah. like... I mean, considering that she, that wasn't there. Yeah, yeah I thought she looked... Me too. Yeah. Okay, Grand Moff Tarkin, I felt like there were times where he looked spot on and I could have swore the actor was there. And then there are other times it was like in that uncanny valley because of the mouth. Like yeah. the mouth movements made it seem yeah. super, super it, it, awkward. It felt like it was coming from the cartoon. I, I, I kind of yeah. got that vibe where it's like. Is this it, is, I just kept looking for the cheek outline, the bone. Like, that's oh, what he yeah. always is known for. Yeah. That's what I kept looking for. But I mean, I don't think it was glaring where it's like, if you look at it now, you could tell. It, it's so at me. The time, I, I was fine. At, yeah. at my initial, when I saw it in theaters, it looked great. But yeah. you know, it's been a few years now and we have higher standards now for what you know CGI yeah. has, has progressed so yeah. yeah it's important that we bring the guy back you know regardless of how I feel about his character or whatever I think that you can't tell this story without that character oh you can't and I love the dynamic between him and Krennic just like the pettiness that yeah. goes on mm -hmm. within the Imperial ranks I just love that they don't get along and it really shows you how he came into command because that scene where he blows his ass up on Scarif it just shows you how ruthless but he is but this is the politics or how it all originates is what you're talking about. This is what you want, right? I mean, yeah. that's, that's why I think this movie nails it. When you're going to branch off of like the actual Star Wars movie, episode one, whatever it is, you know, this is, this is going to be a Star Wars story. This is what we needed because now I buy into it. So if they have another Star Wars story, I'm like, okay, I, w I really want to see it, you know, in my opinion. You and know? we're introduced to all these new characters and we're yeah. kind of bitching about that on the, the Force Awakens, how we don't get a lot from some of them, like Maz and stuff. But like this one, I feel like we get a lot. Yeah, yeah. We get enough to at least justify the movie and justify their presence in well, the movie. Well, then with this, it's all self-contained too because yes, at yeah. the end, it pretty much wraps up all their lives. Yeah, <laughs> but like, yeah. but it is it does a good job of that, of being self-contained. Yeah. And to me, the ultimate fan service, I loved Vader in this every scene. That yeah, yeah and it's a little gratuitous. I get it. It was, yeah, but, but, that, but that's it, what I'm talking it about. It is that's a little like gratuitous. You have, you have that's a, that is a kid to me. That satisfied the kid in me for Star Wars. I was just, I loved it. We were just in, uh, before this. Got James we were Earl talking Jones about voice, that, uh, yeah. that yeah. scene at the very end. Oh, they're trying God, to get the plans scene. to Leia. Yeah. Yes. And of course, you loved it. And, and uh, to me, I was like, all right, <laughs> I get it. Really? You didn't like that? No, it's not that I didn't like it. It's that I'm like, okay, I get it. It's a Star Wars one. You have to have a lightsaber this even is, if this, this is not is for <laughs> the fans this is yeah. not for story this is for the fans yeah no yeah because cool. like we talked about before that movie you know and we'll get to it later on uh with reshoots and all that other shit but like that scene was added in kind of last minute like was it really it was yeah. fine don't I mean, get like, me wrong like it was it was great but was released, i believe wow and, and yeah. it definitely like portrayed like a sense of urgency to like get the plans there but and i think it's a nice bridge too because darth vader is like hot on their ass at the beginning of four yeah. So it only makes sense for like that to kind of be the end yeah. and the beginning of that chase into the next movie. So I the really did thing like that. that I would say that I think this movie like did a really good job of is like obviously I know how it ends, right? I get it. Or I, at least I know that the plans get to the Jedi forces or the rebel forces rather. But you still feel like there's so much writing on like the actions of these characters. You still felt like it's so important that they get these plans to these people because we know what needs to happen in four or five and six or whatever. That third act, man, is just the highest amount of tension I've ever felt. It's in Star so Wars good. Movie. Maybe outside of five, they're against the clock. Like it feels, yeah. it feels like a military movie. Yeah. yeah, the sense of urgency is there. Like say whatever you want about the characters. I got my own opinions. Mm -hmm. 
I'm so invested in the plot. Last movie we talked about, we're more invested in the characters in the plot. In this movie, I'm more invested in, in the plot well, than the characters. that's what drives this movie. Yeah. I, yeah. Think, yeah. I think the plot drives this movie, and I think the characters drove Force yeah. Awakens. So I, I really love that last third act. My favorite starfight in the entire Star Wars series is that fight over uh, Scarif. Yeah. I love well, like the, the force field and they crash the the, the, the battering ram yeah. uh, the yeah. hammerhead they fired the was it the ion cannons mm-hmm. they disabled the ship and then their hammerhead corvette comes in and just like <laughs> crashes the two into each other I love that whole fight because it's no longer just ship going after ship like we've seen previously it's a much more dynamic fight there's a force field they have to get through and then you see like the pilots crash yeah. and explode on it over the ocean on the oh, planet too yeah. like, they're on the planet yeah. like, they're fighting in space on the planet yo if, visually that planet is just amazing right yeah. never had a beach before yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was like this is impressive I I mean I want to live on that planet and you that's know? probably why that saving private Ryan feel right was the, talked yeah, about Normandy kind of yeah, yeah. It has that Normandy feel to it what were too. the name of the giant fighters the uh, the walking they, I think in this movie they are called ATACTs. Yes, yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I think, think the so. ACTs though on the beach that visual. So yeah, yeah. don't those things seem like the most inefficient fighters ever? <laughs> you know what's funny is I saw I was <laughs> when I saw it again today. I was watching a video like, on it and they were complaining about that, uh, comparing the prequels to the original trilogy. Because they were saying how in the prequels the technology seems so much better yeah. than what it is currently. Right. And historically, especially in military warfare, technology seems to get more refined, not mm. less refined. That was one of the gripes I actually did see about that. Yeah. Anyways, but it, it's, but it's a thought. movie. But uh, <laughs> Muggs, I know we were talking about Battlefront a while back, but if you play Battlefront 1 on PS4 and Xbox, you can play that whole mission. Oh, really? Where you fight in space, disable the force field. Then you land on Scarif. You have to uh, hold up the front while Jin and all the other guys are stealing the, the, the Death plans. Star plans. Oh, so oh you, that's pretty cool. Yeah, you fight in space, land on Scarif, and then you fight on the beaches, which is pretty dope. Yeah, it's tight. a pretty sick thing. Um, I think the action overall in this was great. Characters, I, I kind of feel were thin. I felt like oh, they... were very thin. Yeah, yeah, very thin. I feel like uh, they introduced a lot of people in this movie. You got Jin, you got uh, Bodhi, you got um, Saw Gerrera, who's a character from the 3D Clone Wars series. Yeah. Okay. He actually fought alongside uh, Anakin and Ahsoka, which is a pretty cool thing that they brought in EU yeah. stuff. Uh, you've got Krennic, you've got Galen, you've got Chirrut, you've got Baze. There's a lot of fucking character introduced. And when I say the movie's more plot-driven than character-driven, I think it's for its own good because, look, these guys are all going to be offed. We're never going to see them again. But I feel like in some places, we spend a little too much time with them trying to explain away their backstory. Why couldn't these guys just be like a, a pack of guys that get together and steal shit? But don't we, don't we talk the opposite way sometimes too where we want more more character development yeah, yeah. so it's like it's a it's a fucking fine line I feel like see, I was us, gonna say that us as fans about. where it's like we get so especially in this movie like yeah we don't spend a lot of time with these people at all because it's literally one movie for most of them Yeah, and it's like we walk this fine line of wanting a lot more or wanting less and more you know plot development as opposed to character exposition shit like so it's like i don't know i i like the amount because i already knew like what the end game was what was going to happen but i don't know i i i know what you're saying like sometimes we i feel like we were spending too much time with certain people certain aspects but it's like i think if i didn't get that then i would want more of it so it's tough that's it it would be cool if it was more like uh i mean i feel like oceans 11 did it better True. Like and, and where it felt more seamless. And mm. I feel like every time we had any sort of character exposition here, it was like, we have to stop, 
talk about your character, then the plot goes. We have to stop, keep going. I guess I don't have a problem with it. I just wish I, I just wish it was a little more streamlined. And I know I'm playing both sides of the fucking yeah. fence right now. Yeah. But I feel like some movies do it better than others. And I, I guess that's where I stand with it. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of characters and their exposition, we have our main character, you know, Jen Urso. She's the daughter of an Imperial engineer, scientist, Galen Urso, Mads Mickelson. Great actor. Yeah. yeah. Great actor. Great, great role finally. Yeah. yeah. Um he was in what Christina Royale, <coughs> Christina Royale, Royale. But he actually gets to play a, a protagonist this time. Yeah. He's, he's usually playing the, like typecasted as a villain, and yeah. so this time it was kind of a refreshing take. Like finally, you get to play a good yeah. guy. Finally, yeah. Because when he first got cast, I was like, "Is he the bad guy?" And then I think he let slip in an interview that he was Jin's dad. Yeah, uh, at okay. one point. But he did such a good job too, because as being heartfelt or as being genuine of that character. Mm. If you guys really like Rogue One, anybody that's listening as well. You know, go back and read um, the prequel novel to this movie. It's called uh, Catalyst, and it details uh, Krennic's and Galen Erso's relationship all throughout the Clone Wars, and it tells you every single thing about the process of the development of the Death Star. It really enhances your experience of Rogue One because you know that these two got a history. Because, you know, at the beginning, he shows up on Space Ireland or whatever. <laughs> and that's, what, that's what I thought it was. Or Space Greenland. I don't know. He shows up on Space Iceland and fucking D all of the above yeah all the above and he says you know the work isn't finished reading that book it feels like it leads all up to that point which is a cool thing yeah I ain't saying you got to but it's a it's a pretty well written book that ties directly into this movie but um, I think I think Mads Mikkelsen did a great job how do you guys feel about our main character though I liked her I thought she was great yeah I I think I think she did a good job I'm curious to see if there was also backlash from with her female protagonist in this film yeah, as well. I was well. going to say she felt like an alternate But I, 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 I feel like she did a good job uh, in this film but I was curious to see if there was, was any backlash as well. There was no specific backlash to her character but there was I mean there was some response as far as having a second movie with the female protagonist. There was that mm. response. Okay. You know at the end of the day I don't give a fuck if the movie's I, good yeah, I don't yeah, care. I don't yeah, care at all. Yeah. Both, both of them nailed it I think on so many levels I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the movie's good that's all I care about but there was some initial response thinking like why do we gotta have two girls and two that's Star Wars movies? Yeah it's yeah. Stupid. Um, there was a lot of speculation that Jin was Ray's mom, considering like the age and like how things oh, wow. take place. But you know, I think either Daisy Ridley or Felicity Jones came out and said like, "Yo, just because we're both two British chicks, <laughs> it doesn't mean we're related." Yeah. So yeah, she's not related to Ray in any way. But there was that kind of speculation. And then we get Forrest Whitaker's character, Saw Gerrera. Like we said, he's from the the Clone Wars. I just kind of felt he was kind of goofy. Like that whole hentai octopus scene. I didn't like that scene. Yeah, I didn't like it. I, I just kind of felt like, are you a crazy guy? Like, what what is with you right now like you're a war you're general different about what he is right i mean in, yeah, in I a don't, sense that's i don't know what he is yeah. in this at this point in the movie like where he, he stands or what yeah. he is yeah See, I, and i'm sure you'll get into this more towards the end but i know with this movie there were like a lot of reshoots a lot of material like i think was it really yeah oh yeah. oh yeah this movie this one in solo it's so interesting got frankenstein the hell together and somehow it worked yeah, but um, because this, this movie works. Yeah, because yeah. this one, a, a big thing about this movie was that uh, there's a lot of images in the trailers that aren't in the movie, and a lot of movies do uh, this nowadays. Yeah. I think that's part of the reason why his character felt so. I don't know where he's standing or this and that because I think his role as the movie went towards his final edit just got really resized and reshot. All right, so let's talk about you know the director, these reshoots, uh, you know all the stuff we kind of brought up. 
so Gareth Edwards, uh, he's the director of this film, of course. Uh, other films he did were, you know, 2014's Godzilla, and uh, he did a, an alien invasion film called Monsters. Uh, so this is his third ever feature film. This is only his third ever film. He got to work on a Star Wars film. Uh, he did some TV stuff before that, but this is, you know, his third theatrical movie. As far as the reshoots go, in May 2016, Page Six reported that Rogue One was going to involve massive reshoots with Disney executives unhappy with the initial cut of the film. They didn't feel like it stacked up well enough against uh, The Force Awakens. Uh, this kind of opened up a whole can of worms and people on the internet and you know less than credible news sources were making it look like the whole production was in a panic and that nearly half the movie would need to be reshot. Uh, there was even a false report that Mission Impossible 5 through 8 director Chris McQuarrie was stepping in to take over, uh, but he addressed that report by saying the following, uh, quote, if there are any reshoots on Rogue One, I'm not supervising them. For any outlet to say so is not only wrong, it's irresponsible. Uh, Gareth Edwards is a talented filmmaker who deserves the benefit of the doubt. Making a film, let alone a Star Wars chapter, is hard enough without the internet trying to deliberately downgrade one's years of hard work. Who does that even serve? Let him make his movie in peace. And I kind of kind of got to agree I with that. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, it was my understanding that Edwards was more sort of looking for help. Like he was trying to, you know, maybe had some doubts, but he was looking for more of a help rather than being kicked out. He wasn't derailing the production. He was, you know, he was actually open to assistance. Right. He just really wanted the movie to work more than more than ego or anything else. Yeah. And we talk about a lot of the stuff with uh, the prequels, George Lucas, you know, definitely The Force Awakens. I think uh, these movies, this type of movie especially Star Wars, just faces so much microscopic scrutiny. It's yeah, it's sure. so fucking crazy how, how bad we as fans, I mean, we're not bad, we're cool. That's why you're listening. <laughs> but, you know, how, how fan bases and just people that aren't of any value to a production during the production are on a fucking film. It's crazy. It got to the point where even Disney put out a response saying, uh, quote, the filmmaking team in the studio always anticipated additional shooting and second unit work to make the film the absolute best it can be. And the actors were aware that there would be additional shooting. Coming off The Force Awakens, there's an incredibly high bar for this movie. And we have a responsibility to the franchise and to the fans to deliver the best possible movie we can. I mean, when it gets to the point where the studio has to respond, I think that's pretty shitty. Um, but as far as helping out uh, Gareth Edwards, Tony Gilroy was brought in to do rewrites and to shoot additional scenes six months before Rogue One's theatrical release, uh, and he got paid $5 million to do it. Um, so other movies that Tony Gilroy directed were uh, The Bourne Legacy uh, and Michael Clayton, and he also wrote the first four Bourne movies. They brought in additional editors to clean up the film, and they reshot scenes to help flesh out some of the characters. Uh, these reshoots and script rewrites did, however, impact much of the rest of the film, like you were saying, Justin, and that's why so much of the stuff in the trailers is not in the movie. The scene where Jin is being interrogated and says, I rebel, not in the movie. Uh, Darth Vader and Krennic meeting either on the Death Star or at a Star Destroyer, not in the movie. That scene takes place on Mustafar now. Saw Guerrera having a bald head and no beard. Now he has an afro and a beard in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, Jen and her team running towards the AT, uh, ACT on the beach. That's not in the movie. They never made it to the ground because uh, they're in the tower. They oh, get yeah. shot and they die on the beach. So mm -hmm. that's not in the movie. Jen walking on the communications tower where the TIE fighter floats in front of her. That's not in the movie yeah. either. Krennic walking through the water on Scarif and there's dead bodies everywhere. 
not in the movie. He's never on the beach the entire movie. So those are some of the things that are just not in there. We talked about the hallway scene being added at the last minute, so that wasn't originally in the script. The ending was also changed, like you said, Justin. You know, And you could obviously tell because Jin and Cassian never have the plans on the beach. If you look at a lot of the behind the scenes stuff in the trailers, you could see Jin with the VCR tape in her hand, like running <laughs> along the beach with explosions. Gareth Edwards has come forward and said that he was actually gonna have some of the main characters survive but since none of them appear in episode four, five, or six, he got the okay from Disney to kill them all. So like uh, we were talking about before we started recording, I yeah. think you mentioned something. Yeah, originally, uh, I guess in the original writing of it, they really didn't think Disney would go with them being able to kill off all the main characters, uh, Disney being so family friendly. So originally they had them survive. Um, the studio didn't love it, and they did float the idea that they wanted to kill them originally, and they were supportive of it. I, I love that decision. Yeah. I think, yeah, the way they end it. I think the original uh, way to have them survive was something cheesy, like uh, they set off like a carbonite bomb, so they're encased in carbonite steel, but floating <sighs> in space, but still technically alive. <laughs> something cheesy. <laughs> so very, no, very much glad they uh, they went the direction they did go with it. I am happy about that. Let me ask you, with with all these reshoots, I, I I don't know if this may be a cause of you know having to cut so many scenes or cut certain parts, but I feel like one of the my biggest complaint of this film is that you know, and I've seen this three times. Um, the reason I think the the character development is really poor, or at least kind of the characters kind of breathed upon, is I feel like aside from Jin Erso and Cassian, I don't know the names of anyone else on Rogue One. I don't know if they just don't call each other by name more often where you're like, oh, you can pick up, oh, this is who I'm talking to. I feel like even after the third time seeing it, like, I still don't know the, who's, the, who. who's who, yeah. Well, to be fair, is this the only movie where the characters are pretty much standalone? Because yeah. in the other, the characters are reoccurring in multi-films in the rest of the universe. This might, now that I'm thinking about it, and I could be wrong, but I'm just, you know, the thought occurred to me is this the only Yeah, because even Solo has characters that right. carry on. This right. movie. Well, you have Vader and. Right. But that's but like, yeah. But like Blink saying the few yeah. names we can remember. Yeah, but like the, the team on Rogue One, I can't remember any of their names. Except that, like, and that's, <laughs> that's why I'm glad they killed them off, too, because it's like we don't know them. We're not attached to them. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah, we yeah, we're more attached to them stealing the plan. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, think, and that's in my true. Sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you care more about the plot than the, the bridge characters. to connect the prequel to the old trilogy. Yeah, that's what I think. Oh, here's a fun, another fun little tidbit is that Edwards, the director, did put himself in the film. Wait, as a cameo? Yeah, he was uh, trying to think Tell about Tell me he's not a stormtrooper. Uh, no, he's <laughs> close. Um, he was trying to think of, like, you know, a good part. He did always wanted to put himself in. He's actually one of the Rebel Alliance uh, fighters in the very last scene where they're fighting off Vader. Uh, oh, he's one, one of them. Yeah, yeah oh, he's, wow. he's the one that uh, runs off and hits the latch at the very end to detach. Oh. Mm. See, and he said he did that because now technically his character is alive and technically he's in the Star Wars in wow. <laughs> episode four. Um, so one last thing regarding uh, kind of the delays and the reshoots and all that stuff. Uh, so uh, Alexandre uh, Desplat, he's the composer for this movie, or he was the composer for this movie. He did uh, Benjamin Button, Deathly Hallows, Shape of Water. Um, he was supposed to compose the score for this movie but because of all the reshoots, uh, he had to drop out because it wouldn't fit into his schedule anymore. Wow. So they brought in uh, Michael Giacchino, who did uh, The Incredibles, Up, Star Trek, Doctor Strange, uh, Spider -Man, the new Spider-Man movies from Marvel. So they brought him in and uh, he was brought in to compose the score, but he only had four and a half weeks. And for a movie this size, you usually take longer. Some movies you can do in a month, 
But for this scale of a movie that's still going through reshoots, you haven't seen the whole movie yet. He only had four weeks to do it. And I think he did the score maybe like uh, a month before this movie came out. I wow. could I could be wrong. Yeah. I could be wrong. But I think he only had, I think he, he did it like a month or two before this movie came that's out. Crazy. Immediately after finishing Doctor Strange, he had to jump into this movie like right away. Wow. So he didn't have a lot of time to develop themes or score. And I, that's one of my other problems with this movie. I kind of feel like the music has no identity the sound has no identity in this movie like there are things that veer very closely to original trilogy music it felt very star wars to me yeah but But nothing stood out yeah it felt vaguely star wars to me to me the most iconic sound from this is in the trailer the um that alarm going off yeah yeah that's probably but like nothing super score really sticks in my head yeah i think that kind of plays to its benefit too like it makes it unique original not not an episode it's you You also want it to be a little bit obviously you want it to be different but it it, it should be its own thing yeah yeah and we also talked about how uh, in episode four you don't hear the imperial march so they made sure not to include it in this movie for continuity's sake so i think that was a nice touch like i said the score doesn't really stand out to me but i do agree with you jason i think if we relied to i mean this plot is literally about the death star you don't want to go overboard with how closely it ties into four i guess and this is this is the first Star Wars story movie we're getting too so I kind of appreciate that they didn't like make it another episode like they didn't incorporate all that stuff like it's 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 own thing and like I mean it makes sense now why maybe we didn't get exactly what we wanted because he had so little time but at the same time it's like it's it's original it's unique and it's not an episode it's it it makes sure that I mean we don't get that crawl at the beginning all that kind of stuff like it's very unique it's different yeah and there was a lot of talk about whether or not they should include a crawl. I'm glad they didn't. No. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad they didn't also um, because I think the plot's pretty straightforward, number one, but you, you do have to visually differentiate this movie from the episodic movies. Not only that, I was reading that while they were talking about it, they felt like if they included a crawl, it meant that there had to be something else in this line of like storytelling. And so then it would create like another, not trilogy, but like another storyline that you need to follow outside of the episodes that we're used to. Yeah, because the crawl always tells you what happens Prior. right before. Right. Yeah. yeah, so like if it's if it's a standalone, if it's its own contained thing, sometimes what if you don't have anything before to talk about? Right. Here's where the story starts. Yeah, you, yeah. Li- you kind of trap yourself in a corner narratively. So I think that was a good idea to not include it. Uh, so I already said earlier, like how much I enjoy when they like incorporate old films into like new films and get different perspectives. How did this like movie even come about? Like, how did this idea even come up? Uh, Rogue One actually started out as an episode of a TV show. So back in the day, post prequels, there's a Star Wars TV show being developed called Star Wars Underworld, and it was meant to kind of show the more mature, gritty side, like bounty hunter aspects of the Star Wars world. So Rogue One was initially proposed as an episode of that. And I'm sorry, you said post-prequels? Yeah, post-prequels. So this is way back when. So this is after episode three. Okay. So like 2005 and beyond. So John Knoll, the visual effects supervisor on the prequels, he pitched the idea of uh, a group of misfits teaming up to steal the Death Star plans 
to explain how the rebels got the plans in the first place and that was his episode pitch for one of the episodes for star wars underworld that series got scrapped even before disney bought lucasfilm so it never happened so he kind of thought you know okay it's dead in the water it's never gonna get made but once kathleen kennedy was put in charge and disney took over and he knew that new films were going to be produced he kind of said to himself well it's now or never i gotta pitch my idea so he ended up pitching his idea for the movie and they said it's an excellent idea and they kind of ran with it and that's kind of how rogue one got made so the you know the vfx supervisor is the one that kind of made this movie happen at least from a conceptual perspective because correct me if i'm wrong but just like how they announced they were going to do a star wars before that before they had anything they knew they were going to do standalone films kind of before they knew what they were going to be so this was sort of a perfect fit when this guy already had the idea yeah and i think they i think they announced the star wars solo films a little while after episode seven was announced right but yeah for Fairly early on, they announced that they were going to do spinoff films. Yeah. You know, we're done with all that shit, but I do love K2SO. I, he's my favorite character from this entire oh, movie. Yeah. Like, he's probably the strongest droid we've ever seen, right? Oh, yeah. Was, yeah. It, was this first scene that we saw him when he uh, sprung when he sprung her from the back of that uh, prison trap? Oh, yeah. yeah. He kind of like stiff-armed her to keep He's <laughs> like, uh, he's like uh, don't move, you're being rescued or yeah. whatever he says. <laughs> yeah. And when he slaps Cassian, he's like, he's like, quiet. Like, he like, <laughs> yeah. when the stormtroopers hold him up, I thought, I thought he was super hilarious. You know, we talk about BB-8, R2-D2. I think I think with these droid characters, they're, like, killing it by this point. Yeah, same in Solo. Like, I like the unique droid characters that we get kind of introduced to. Yeah. Kind of thing. We'll talk I'm about that. I'm, I'm just saying I like that, it's something, that they're doing something, like, trying to do something a little different with each one. Yeah, it's not just, like, a protocol Whether it works droid. or not is different, but yeah. I just like that it's, it's different. Yeah. They're not, like, sideline characters. They're actually involved. They have more personality. Yeah. Yo, when K2SO got blown up or died or whatever, like, I that was the one that I felt the most. Dude, yeah. there was another reshoot I saw. I think it's like in the DVD extras or something where uh, you can see the actor, uh, you know, underneath him with the sort of gear on him, this, but he falls down in sort of like a beachy, like in sand pretty much like the rest of them do. Yeah. So again, just, yeah, more of those reshoots. Oh, okay. So Alan Tudyk plays this guy, right? So there was a, I think it was an interview with Diego Luna where he says that he's motion capture, obviously. So he's wearing the suit, right? Mm-hmm. But it's skin tight motion capture suit and he's on stilts. So the entire time he's acting with him, Diego Luna says that he's <laughs> he's looking at his crotch the entire time. And he said it was so awkward because like you're acting with this guy and you turn around and his dick's in your face. <laughs> Maybe he would have worn a cup or something. <laughs> yeah. But that, that was not the droid he was looking for. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, we're going to split this episode into two parts. So be on the lookout for uh, part two of the Disney movies uh, coming up next. Thanks for listening to this episode of $20 Ticket. Follow us on Instagram at $20 Ticket and leave your ticket price about the movies we've reviewed. If you have any comments or suggestions, send them to $20ticket at gmail.com. That's 2-0, the numbers, $20ticket at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, and thank you for listening. I'm gonna text like all oh, your your it's number. It's honestly the shit that they're doing now is insane. Is it like from Pornhub or something? <laughs> oh no, Pornhub. Have you been on Pornhub? Uh, yeah, uh, of course. <laughs> Actually, I'm more of a uh, X videos person. I, I like X videos. Like X videos. Yeah, X videos is the shit.
some people need scenes. I don't mind some context. You enjoy, you enjoy the character development. I like oh, story. I, I like story. Mugga yeah. doesn't like it. Mugga doesn't like story. <laughs> You really, really don't, don't like any sort of context put into your porn. It. You don't like you context. You want story, character development, like before they... I don't like, Why are it. they here? What's yeah, going on? That's what I want to know. That's what I'm here for. It's just like, because that, that adds to it. You know Define what I'm saying? the universe in which these two people are... Playing. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. nobody just gets stuck in a doggy door. What, is this like, a period what, piece? What, 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 is, what, what, is it a period piece? <laughs> like, how did you get stuck under that bed? Like, I want to know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, you went to a hostel and there was a lot of lightning and thunder. And then it's like, oh, well, the electricity goes out. I was really scared. So then they went underneath the bed and that's how this goes down. I, I, I need to know that. Have you yeah. always been attracted to your stepson? But you like, like, development? Yes. You listen to the, you listen to it all? Can we go to AdultCon in LA when it comes? I've been to AdultCon. You've been? I've been. Okay, when, like, when is it? When is it usually? Well, there's 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 different. There's AdultCon. There's Erotica LA. <laughs> That's yeah. in. Okay, they're all in LA. Yeah, it's all, all in LA. Which one's the best one? <laughs> all of these people get it fucking twisted about like porn stars thinking they're like hoes and all that bullshit. Oh. Hell no. These motherfuckers are like college educated. Some have master's degrees. A lot they're, of them want to go to producers and shit. Yeah, there's and, a girl on Wall Street, and then then there, there are people are crying because now she wants to start a family. I'm like, hey, I, I oh no no, to- that's Lena the plug. Yeah, Lena the plug. Lena the yeah, plug. Lena yeah. the plug. I, I think it needs to be kind of said. It's just like you know, just because you're a porn star doesn't mean you're like a fucking degenerate. Like yeah, you're, no, like like you're, like you said, her husband. Like she found someone she settled down with. They're living their lives. They're making their grown ass decisions. Like, yeah. Remember when that guy fed a hand fed a shark? <laughs> Oh, dude, he, I have that. He was like, hey, guys, we're not supposed to do this, but yes, <laughs> let's, let's feed these sharks. My favorite thing yeah. of the whole okay. trip was Mother talking about that guy's toenails <laughs> and that they were in the cage with him. And I was like, what are you more nervous about? The shark on the outside of the cage or the toes on the inside? He was like, well, there's only one shark. There were 10 of those. <laughs>